Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And guys, you probably know by now we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hey, Eric. Hello, Ward. Should we talk a little bit about the game? The uh, Nebraska game? Yeah. The, the one... first road game win of the year? Yeah. I mean, hey, this is going to air before we have a chance to lose again. So let's bask in victory. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that partly um, why we won at Nebraska is because our podcast is powered by P. I conducted you. Yep, Ward like, was conducting me. I, I don't know what the sideways move is. I wanted to see what you do with it. I did something. And, and you moved your mouth to each side, <laughs> and it created a different sound. So <laughs> g- good on you. So dumb. Hey, I before, mean, so dumb. before we finish this intro, what's that sound? Oh, that's the sound of Hershey Company's Icebreakers Ice Cubes Archie Grape Gum. I'm taking five in my mouth right now. Undefeated on the road oh. since we started it. No. Undefeated on no, the road. That's not true. We lost to Rutgers. Me and the You're goons. Right. I was with the We're goons undefeated in, in the Midwest since starting it. Absolutely. We are undefeated west of the Mississippi on the road since we started the Archie Grape. That is very true. You, uh, ju- you, ju- a, a hunk of gum <laughs> just threw out of your mouth. This uh, has got to be the worst mm. thing to listen to. Is to listen to you chew gum on this. Mm. This mm. is like terrible ASMR. <laughs> I've got five cubes in my mouth. You're going to choke on your saliva. I feel like I'm drinking uh, a Welch's grape. Purple soda. drink. And I tell you what, the listeners will not have to listen to this for long because the flavor will be gone within no, the next No, don't say seconds. that. It's the best gum in the world. Mm. You can't They could be a future sponsor. What are you doing? Okay. Well, if if we get a check, I will 
edit I this out. love this gum with all of my heart. I do too. I love it. For that 30 to 45 seconds mm-hmm. whereas flavor. No, no, no. I then I have the sense memory of the flavor and it keeps me going. I'll chew this gum for hours. Should I stop chewing now? You should. It's uh-huh. awful to listen it's to. It's still really good right now. Though. Yeah, but it's terrible to listen to. <laughs> Put it on the glass then you can have it later. Oh, oh. god, that's Now good. I am looking at a hunk <laughs> Of Ward's chewed gum, and it's moving. It's like, uh, it's alive. Anyway, uh, look, I am really happy. I I did not get to watch the game live. I was at a retreat with my family this weekend, so I watched it on delay. I knew we had won. I watched the game on delay. I was really happy we won. I was really happy we withstood that big first half run. There's a butt coming. Nebraska is a terrible basketball team. It's always something with you. No, no, man. no. I'm just always wait, something. Do you disagree with me? I don't disagree that they beat Purdue and Iowa in Nebraska. I I agree with that. But to your point, before we started this, you said to me, besides Michigan State, every team in the Big Ten sucks. That's right. Everybody says the Big Ten's great. I say no, it's mediocre. Okay, so wait a minute. Yeah. So you say everybody in the Big Ten except for Michigan State sucks. Correct. I then point out Nebraska, who is second worst in the Big Ten, uh-huh. and I say they suck. They're a terrible basketball team, and you give me crap for it. Yeah, that's because you're specifically trying to rain on a victory parade by us. I'm just making a blanket statement about the entire league. Yeah. I mean, look, when we when we won barely against Nebraska at home, there were people who were like, but we won, so be happy. And everybody knows, like, well, yeah, but a win isn't always just a win. Right. But how long have we been having this discussion because we didn't have a very good non-conference schedule? Yeah, we, yeah. we had a very soft non-conference schedule. And now we've had, like, the easiest Big Ten schedule so far. Yeah. And I'm like, well, we're more than halfway through the season. I want to enjoy it. Well, we're I, 14 and 4. No, I enjoyed it. And, and why I was able to enjoy that game more than the idea like, well, this is on the road. Okay, it's on the road against a terrible team. Rather than any of those sort of factors coming into it, it was a good-looking brand of basketball. We had our traditional like eight minutes of not being able to get a field goal. That's just who we are. But other than that, on the offensive end, there was movement. There were shots going down. There were, there bunch were shots. Of... Going... <laughs> it's such a ridiculous <laughs> thing to say. I mean, it but was it's... such a good brand of basketball when the ball goes through the basket. We weren't setting records for being incapable of hitting a shot outside the paint. It was way more enjoyable than. Yes. Losing to Rutgers. But Jerome made a couple of shots, that, which I think are really important. Huge. Armand, he's a freshman, so of course he's going to be inconsistent, but he is aggressive and he is not letting any not kind afraid. of struggles he's had in a given game hold him back. And we discussed this over text with our good buddy Mike from New York and the other goons. Of There was that stretch in the second half from eight minutes to go to about five minutes to go where you had Rob, Jerome, Armand, Trace, and Joey. And those those five boys are going to be playing this season together and next season together. And I think we can expect good things from that grouping moving forward. Yeah, it was fun to watch five Archie guys together. There was mm-hmm. definitely a lot to take away from that game that was that was good. I will say, I think part of the style of basketball, besides the ball going in the basket. It was so nice. It was. It went in. But... Nebraska plays a really fun style of basketball. It's Hoiberg true. plays an NBA spread it out, up and down style. It happened the first time we played them at Indiana. I think what is frustrating for me is I don't know what style of basketball we play. Like, we beat them playing their style of basketball. 
and I think Archie wants to play fast. He, you see him; he, he wants to get the ball up and turn, down, turn defense into offense. Yeah, we haven't seen our defense really play the way he, I think, wants them to. But we're not; we don't, we don't have the team yet to impose our will on anybody. We beat Nebraska on the road, though. When you look at how good we are at rebounding the basketball, that we have the Especially size and the rebound. strength. Yeah, like we are one of the best teams in the country at that. And while we, the fans, and our friend groups will focus so hardcore on horrific shooting outings, we've sort of totally ignored the narrative of how good of a rebounding team. And honestly, because the free throws haven't fallen as much as we'd liked, but at the end of the day, we're one of the best in the country at getting to the line. And Yes, the, we're one of the worst in the country at making them. But we still end up making more than other teams. <laughs> because we tech. get there. But look, and that's but right that there. That is ugly you, basketball, you though. You go right to the negative, but at the end of the it's day, true. at 14-4 and four, and at tied for third in conference right now, I think... Going back a few games when you're sending me like a gif of a cliff falling into the ocean. No, no, no. You sent Oh no, I no, sent you that, you but you agreed. Me, uh, yes, I did. And and just two I, games ago you were losing your mind about this team. Oh, I will lose my mind. No, like the last game. Rutgers. Rutgers game, I'm, well, we all were. I but, know, but I mean I'm, I'm, I just I'm trying not to go nuts. I'm trying to stay more even keeled. Oh, I am not. Well, I know. As you, you know, are. But, you are. But I'm embracing it in, in in a humorous way of like, if we win, I say we go into the final four. If we lose, I say- Get rid of everybody. Everybody. Clean house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I don't really mean either. And when, and it goes back to our, our New Year's-ish conversation of seeing those younger guys together who have barely seen the floor together maybe 10 or 15 games where they're getting a few minutes of run together each. The younger Archie guys who will be around next year and a lot of them the year after and the year after, there's hope there. There is. Look, also, I love Joey Brunk. I mean, I just love him. Is, I, is I, it the hair? I love the hair. I love when I met him at the fantasy camp before I ever saw him play in at Indiana. I love when he daps our fists before the final. Yeah, that the, was cool. That was anthem. cool. But he's... um. He's just what you want to see out of Indiana players. I mean, he busts his ass. He shows emotion. He gets his other players going. He looks like he fights like hell against the other team. He He's not gifted with, like, tremendous ability, but he's busted his ass to get where he is. And the guy's putting in double-digit points. He's getting a lot of games of double-digit rebounds. It's like he is the most consistent guy on the team right now where you know what you're going to get from Joey game in and game out, where I would say – there is no other player on the team like that. Well, and it's something we discussed quite a bit earlier in the season is that we're not going to have consistent output from too many given players. But by playing 10, 11 guys, can you consistently count on a couple of them to show up each game? And look, we all get really frustrated by Devontae. He showed up for about two games, really critical, huge games that we ended up winning because he showed up for those. In Nebraska, it's more spread out amongst other people. And and who knows in the next game who are going to be the couple of people that show up. By the way, we're about to enter Thunderdome. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's going we from are, worst to first as far as strength of schedule goes. It is. I mean, we play Michigan State on Thursday. We play Maryland, I think, on Sunday. It's like it's, it is – there is nobody the rest of the season, nobody, that we should win. Like, that you can comfortably go, we should win that game. Like at, we, at home, I think some of those games Ooh. we should win. 
There is no one we play. I think we should beat Purdue at home. Okay, fine. I guess I'm looking more statistically. There's no team we play from this point on that is lower ranked than us in the Ken Palm. Yeah, but what was it like? The way Assembly Hall was rocking for that yeah. Ohio State game. Who said it was that's worth 10 or 12 points? Was it Derek Elston? No, I think, oh yeah, it was Elston. Yeah, yeah. That that this this team this this crowd's going to give you ten points. So if you factor that in, and knowing that Assembly Hall faithful is ready to show up and give you that ten points, if you're giving them the effort that is required, that we should win most of our games at home. I fully believe this team is capable of beating any team at home in the Big Ten. And look, we beat Michigan State last year. Wait, I agree with that. I also think this team is capable of losing to any team at home. A hundred percent. And that isn't always the case. That we're not used well, we are used to it recently. Oh, we are super. But our used childhood to it. is not used to that. And yeah. that's what still hurts. Our childhood is so far away now. It is, I know, but it feels like it's still there. What what our guest, what he lost one home game in four years. One home game and never to a Big Ten opponent. Unbelievable. That, even though we didn't have that when we grew up in the eighties, we felt that. You you felt that like we weren't losing at home, even though we did. Well, look at Calbert's senior year, yeah. seventeen and one in conference. Right. We didn't lose at home. We didn't lose hardly anywhere. Yeah, but but that is not the feeling that this team has. The Big Ten is tough. I hate how the referees call the game to allow this like football on a basketball court. I hate it. I, you know this this it. is kicked around in the pigs forum and elsewhere of why this continues and i have not gotten a good explanation from rabbi or snow or otherwise as to why this continues to be the style of play in the big 10 is it because old school coaches Izzo is the only one who really comes to mind says yeah this is our brand and it's worked for us and have the pull at the conference level to keep it as such. Because clearly, they could all go, the presidents of the university or the athletic departments or the, the coaches could get together in the offseason and be like, you know what, we want to open it up. We want to make this a little bit more reflective of today's game and not be tackle basketball. Why, why isn't that happening? I don't know. It's a great question. It's got to be the refereeing. I mean, the refereeing allows, right, but, they, but why, why, why isn't the Big Ten commissioner directing yeah. them at the behest of the president or exactly. the athletic directors and the coaches? I don't know. I mean, Let's I really don't. Let's get into this. Let's... Let's find out why, because... Good. That's a good question for Rabbi and Snow. We should get into that. I, I just... It is an awful brand of basketball to watch compared to what other conferences do. I mean, I watched, like, the SEC. I watched the Georgia-Kentucky game. It's a more fun brand of basketball. It's more free-flowing, you know. It's spread out more. It, it is just more fun. The Big East, which used to be rough and tumble, isn't that anymore. It's, it's skillful basketball. And look, if... Somehow, our brand translated to national championships for the conference. Great. There's your your argument for what we're doing, but we haven't won since 2000 with the Spartans of old. And, yeah, we'll usually get a team to the Final Four, but because the refs are calling it more along the lines of the ACC or the SEC, that leaves us out in the cold when it comes time to to hang a banner. You do wonder if it's like a – know what it's called like a long tail type thing meaning or, or almost like a chicken or the egg whereas the referees call the game a certain way and who knows how that started but they call it a certain way so the coaches recruit players to that way I mean we've heard so much about like when when Archie recruits guys we've heard the analysts talk about well in the big 10 a Joey Brunk is really needed because right. he can bang 
Okay, so then coaches recruit guys to that. Well, then you're recruiting guys that only play that style. Well, if that's the style they play, then the referees have to the referees call the game the way that the players are playing it because if you didn't, there would be a foul on every single possession. I don't it's like I, I, I how do you get more, out of it? I think it's more adaptable than that. I don't think there's too many players that are only bangers in this day and age. Not I, only. Not yeah, only that I think if there's an edict from the universities to the conference to the referees to like, hey, guys, let's let's clean it up. But if it was the, that easy, it doesn't make sense why it hasn't happened. Well, but I have not heard an explanation for like, nope, this it, it, like, yeah, let's get an expert in on this because yeah. we can keep talking. I, I have a feeling circles. it's more complicated than we think because it seems like that would be the easy solution. Well, because the NFL owners will all get together after the season, be like, we want to change this, they and change in the a rules. weekend they change it. So let's let's yeah, do that I mean, with Big Ten basketball. And you watch Big Ten basketball, you. See See these guys just beating each other up. There were plays in that Rutgers game. Nebraska was not this case. Nebraska wasn't that physical of a game. Rutgers was. And it's like, gee, that, that is clearly a foul. I mean, you just cannot allow that much contact. Hey, and it's uh And as brutal as ugly. that game was, and in an all-time horrific shooting performance by us, we lost by single digits on the road. Hey, I'm not one for moral victories, but that's still better than what happened in Maryland or in Wisconsin. As far as me trying to say, how do we look at what's been going on, starting back with Ohio State, not getting run out of the gym. Rutgers is ranked now. Am I wrong? Aren't they top? I like know. I think they're like 24th. Okay. Well, I know they're in the Ken Palm top 25. And we played so terribly as far as shooting anything outside of the paint in that game to like not have gotten totally destroyed. And then to go into Nebraska – and get it done there. I'm saying final four. That's all. <laughs> just say, just putting it out there. I uh, look. I can't wait to see what happens this week because we got two games that. I mean, imagine the narrative change for these two games. Let's say we win both games, right? If we beat Michigan State and Maryland at home, and we are six and three in the Big Ten with three wins against top 15 teams at that point um, in the conference and four wins total yeah. with Florida State, the narrative totally changes. You lose both games, and the sky won't be falling. It will have fallen. Mm, it, oh, it yeah. will. Come on, dude. You yeah. Two home games? Right, but against teams I don't think anybody thinks we're actually better than. You just said we should win most games at home. I, I said we, yes, but those are the two arguably best teams in the Big Ten, and I think we can win those. I'm saying I'm happy if we win one of those two. If we lose both games, the message boards and the community of Indiana will be out of control. We will be four and five in conference, mm -hmm. then going back out onto the road, people will lose their minds because we're irrational. Right. Oh, We're yeah. irrational. I'll be one of them. Yes, you will. You'll be it before halftime of the first game. I mean, maybe at, depending on who gets the tip. <laughs> Can Bobby Wilkerson come in for the tip? Yes, please. Speaking of, we should get to today's guest who played with Bobby Wilkerson along with the rest of the 76 team. Hoosier hysterics. Hoosier hysterics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the garage in Glendale where Eric and I are sitting, and we're on the phone with a very, very special guest. Eric, who do we have today? We have a gentleman who hails from South Bend, Indiana, where he played for St. Joseph's High School. His senior year, he averaged very close to 26 points a game. 
in leading his team to the sectional championship. He then went on to play his collegiate ball at Indiana University, where all he did over four years was amass a 108-12 and overall record and a 59-5 and Big Ten record. That's four years, people. Five losses in four years, 59 wins. What happened in those five games? That's what I want to know. <laughs> four Big Ten titles. That's right. He played four seasons and got four Big Ten titles. Two Final Fours, back-to-back undefeated Big Ten seasons in 75 and 76, and then, of course, a 1976 perfect season, which culminated in a national championship where this gentleman was named to the all-tournament team. After that, drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers, where he played five years in the NBA. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to a legend and one of the absolute all-time greats. Please welcome Tom Abernethy. Wow. Is that a standing ovation, or were you guys sitting? Well, we could lie to you. We could lie to you and tell you we were standing, but we were sitting for that one. We were standing in our hearts. (laughs) You know what's funny in in listening to that intro? If I was Tiger Woods or, you know, some, if that was my, those were my accomplishments, I'd probably feel like, man, that was pretty, pretty special. But when you're on a team, you know, all of us from the first to the last player realize it's a team accomplishment. So it was more me being lucky to be a part of those guys than something that I can take uh, credit for. But anyway, thank you for the introduction. Well, you are being modest and we love that. And it's part of what made you and all those guys that you played with so special. And we will get into that. But before we begin, Tom, I have heard several of your former teammates refer to you as Aber, as a nickname. Now, what we like to do on this show is we always ask our guests if we can call them by their nicknames so that we feel like we're friends with you. Are we allowed to call sure. you Aber? Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. <laughs> I've been called a lot of things, uh, <laughs> Aber being one, and if that's the one you want to... Go with that's awesome. Yes, no, no problem at all. All right. So so Aber feels good. It feels good to say that Aber. We <laughs> often like to just get a taste of where uh, a former player is currently at, and uh, I thought maybe you could catch uh, the listeners a little bit up to speed with the IBA and what you've been doing with that and keeping basketball very much in your life. Sure. Um, so I'll. Fast forward after you sort of gave the basketball background with playing in the NBA for five years and going over to Italy that you didn't get to mention that, but I was there for um, two seasons. There's sort of an interesting story there that we can get into later. For sure. Scott May came in uh, once I had an eye um, problem that ended my basketball career and they re, you know they got a replacement player and his name was Scott May that was <laughs> pretty cool but so anyway seven years of pro ball got into commercial real estate for I think I totaled probably 12 years doing that here in Indianapolis and became a Christian and started to reevaluate whether commercial real estate was how I was going to spend my life or uh, how what it was going to look like. And it ended up being I 
uh, built a gym in Indianapolis in 1996 called the Indiana Basketball Academy. So it's been about 24 years, and I've been running that um, business uh, since then, and sort of in a transition in a way right now in that I um, am taking my hands off the day-to-day operations and spending time with my wife uh, and our new puppy down in Florida, down in Bonita Springs, or Bonita Beach, actually. And um, so I'm sort of walking blindly a little bit into uh, sort of owning a business that uh, I'm not actively uh, 24-7 living with like I did these last 24 years. So um, I happen to be in town for about three or four days to uh, be working uh, with our company uh, but then I'll be back down in Florida by the end of the week and uh, back in 75 or 80 degree weather with my <laughs> wife. So that's probably a long uh, update, but uh, that's uh, that's what I'm doing right now. Can you just fill the listeners in on what the IBA is, exactly what the mission is, who you're working with there to make basketball better in the state of Indiana? Sure. Um, you know, 24 really 25 years ago or more when I started thinking about changing professions, um, I looked at sort of how God had wired me and, and, you know, sort of, you know, who I am as a person. And, you know, I, I like to encourage people. I like to uh, come alongside and uh, help people as I can. But so IBA was started, and I didn't really have a full vision of what it's going to be like. I mean, it continues to evolve, to be honest with you, like any good business. But uh, IBA is a place for kids, Indiana Basketball Academy, uh, for kids to come and feel um, like they can learn a bit about basketball, but they hopefully get a lot more than basketball instruction and they end up uh, finding a place that they can feel valued, feel welcomed to uh, come regardless of their ability level. And, um, you know, we've had great players, you know, that have come there, but we've probably had so many more that uh, their fond memories of basketball when they're uh, your age, Eric, will be you know, when they got to play on some of the IBA teams or being the, involved in the camps and all those things that we end up doing. So we're, you know, more than just basketball. That's sort of our tagline. Um, but it's, you know, a place that parents can feel confident that their kids are going to be nurtured and encouraged, but also taught uh, the, the game. And so that's sort of continuing on right right to this day. One of the things we love talking about on this podcast is IU as a family, that the IU basketball community is a family. And, and I think there's been fractures in that family over the years for various reasons, but we like to think of it as a family. And one of the things, your, your basketball academy, 
Aber has come up on our podcast multiple times. We've heard uh, Derek Elston mention it. Jim we, Cruz. We've heard Jim Cruz, which was just what I was going to mention. And one of the things I love about the IU basketball family is here you are many years after playing, obviously, decades after playing at Indiana. You formed this gym, and yet there's people from the IU basketball family who find their way to this thing that you have built. And it's just another example of how IU is special and Indiana is special. You have, you're running it. Jim Cruz comes around. All the, the people around the Indiana basketball program know about you. Yogi Ferrell played at IBA. There's a lot of Indiana roots to it. And I'm just wondering, how does that make you feel knowing, especially now that you get to take a step back from it, you built this thing that has extended the Indiana basketball family in a very real way? Well, it's, uh, it's humbling, definitely, because um, anything that you're involved in, you'd like to see it continue. And the goal, the, sort of the, the, the fun goal of what IBA now truly is, it's not uh, cranking out Tom Abernethy players or Yogi Ferrell players, um, but cranking out good citizens, good people, uh, encouraging kids to develop their um, their God-given abilities, and you know that's if that legacy can continue, that is uh, there's could be nothing more um, you know that I I would want out of it, and that it impacts you know former teammates and their kids and. You know, hopefully their grandkids at some point. You never know if it continues that long. But I mean, it's uh, it's it's neat to basically give back a little bit and give back with what I've been given and blessed with uh, to hopefully be a encouragement and a blessing you know, in other people's lives. Well, it's certainly been a, a huge blessing to all Indiana fans who had you to thank for Yogi Ferrell's career. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that's right. Yeah, but- it, it, that's a, the, the fun part of this. Maybe it's it just, you know, you realize, I mean, when you've, you've got a great player like Yogi and you got kids that walk through the door, you know, their, their general abilities – you can't take credit for you can maybe help or take some credit for you know encouragement and and development of some of the nuances but boy <laughs> yogi Farrell, that that's uh those are his parents and you know how god has sort of wired him and and you know there's a number of those guys so we're pretty uh pretty uh, realistic about where you know what our impact you know, may may ultimately be in you know, <laughs> these kids' lives. Well, clearly, uh, Yogi had a good foundation, and 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 like you said, some God given ability. Let's go back to where your basketball life started. How did you originally find the game of basketball? Well, growing up in South Bend, um, my my little life story began with my dad I guess uh, he uh, was you know just a great father at the time uh, as I re- look back but you know sports was a pretty uh, predominant theme uh, so I mean I played baseball 
all summer. I played uh, golf all summer. And during basketball, I would just go through the neighborhood dribbling and going to shoot and stuff. So I, I just had an athletic uh, taste uh, as, as a, young, a young kid. My dad ended up becoming a golf pro in his late 30s. He left Studebaker Corporation as an executive because his heart was teaching the game of golf. And so he became a golf in South Bend at a uh, small golf course. And so I ended up being a golfer. Nice. And, um, but basketball was, was always something I just enjoyed doing. So I would go outside on my own, just playing and shooting and goofing around. Um, and I was taller than, you know, 95% of the kids. And I think my height and just my interest in it. Uh, so that's, you know, that's how I, I got started is it just picked it up at, uh, in the neighborhood. I have, have an older brother, Spike, that uh, is about five years older than me. And, uh, you know, we go at it a little bit. <laughs> it sounds like with a brother named Spike that Spike would, I mean, it just sounds like he should be beating you up. That's what Spike sounds like he that, should be doing. That's a very good, there's a great story about Spike and beating me up. So Let's hear it. Uh, yeah, so my, my dad passed away at age 41. So, I mean, he, oh, wow. he had a short life mm. and uh, had a heart attack and, and died. And so my mom was left with, there's a lot of story there, but uh, three boys. So Spike, David, and me. And David, unfortunately for me and for him and for my mom and my dad and my other brother Spike, David was born with multiple um, health issues and uh, was never able to live at home with my parents or, you know, with me and, and my brother, because uh, at that time in the, probably the mid fifties, um, they would have institutions that would take care of, of kids that had multiple medical issues that my parents weren't uh, equipped to sure. handle. So anyway, um, so David wasn't around, uh, you know, in the in the home, but Spike certainly was. So after my dad had passed away, Spike got me a very kind Christmas gift, and they're called boxing gloves. <laughs> so he was going to toughen me up because uh, you know he he was the man of the house after my dad died, and so. He gave me these boxing gloves and took me down the basement and started pummeling me <laughs> with them. <laughs> and my mom just just ran to my defense and, and Spike got in big trouble that day. So he he tried to be a, a true Spike as you described yes. him. <laughs> when, uh, but when, that was pretty short lived when my mom when you know, you got, stepped in. When you got up to about six seven, did you say Spike, let's go back down into the basement? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I sort of put my boxing gloves away uh, that day. I, I didn't want to pick them up even at 6'7", so I, I became more of a lover than a fighter <laughs> like that. So, Excellent. Aber, when did the game go from 
uh, obviously, I think like a lot of kids, you grow up playing a lot of different sports. Sports are just a part of your life. Wait, I have one question before we get, did did it feel like a basketball state to you growing up in South Bend? Was it as predominant there, or did it feel as much like a football state as it did a basketball state? Well, growing up in South Bend, Eric, it's it's Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. So Notre Dame in my world was football number one and then basketball number two. So I would uh, get to go to football games. I'd sell programs. I'd just hang out, you know, at the stadium every game day. Uh, so that's that was, you know, what was, was so cool. Now, again, I, I didn't have the guts, I guess, or the maybe I had – too many brains too <laughs> yeah i didn't like pursue football as a career but i sure enjoyed watching being a fan for of notre dame and then basketball uh was was fun back in the day um they had a guy named austin carr and a bunch of really good players that uh i enjoyed cheering for and watching but um bas- the interesting thing it's so ironic that i'm running a bat, like as an example, today there's 40, 40 kids signed up for Martin Luther King Day camp at my gym. And I never, one time in my life as a player and a kid growing up, and uh, attended a camp. So wow. uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't uh, certainly view my growing up years as, man, this is a basketball state. And basketball is all you did. Now, I think um, Indiana has certainly grown in that. And basketball is just a bigger part of everybody's life. Thank goodness. Yes. Or I wouldn't be IBA. (laughs) (laughs) So, Aber, when did basketball go from just being a fun sport that was fun to go outside and screw around with to, oh, wow, I'm really good at this and this could really lead to something bigger than just going outside and chucking shots. Yeah. Um, interestingly, uh, the school I went to, as a third grader, I was asked or allowed, basically, to be on the team, the fourth and fifth elementary team. So early on, somebody must have seen some potential and it could have been my height but so i i started and was fortunate to get a, an opportunity at a young really young age to at least get exposed to it and so i played through our school program um all the way until i got out of eighth grade and in eighth grade i was planning to go where my brother spike went which was south bend central mm-hmm. And as it turned out, um, by my sophomore year, South Bend Central would have been closed. So my mom um, sort of made a decision that instead of going to to, uh, Central and then have to transfer, you know, after that to LaSalle, uh, she said, you know what, St. Joe is probably five blocks away or four blocks away. I'm going to send my little baby to <laughs> St. Joe. So um, anyway, so I think once I got to St. Joe, 
I had a coach named Bob Donawald, and he ended up coming to IU as an assistant coach for uh, after I got here, but he was an amazing coach. And so all of a sudden, that's probably the turning point as to where I started realizing that um, there's a lot to this game and there's a lot of ways to uh, help a team. And you know, Coach Donawald was like Coach Knight in that he stressed defense and man-to-man defense and team basketball and roles and all of the things, you know, that, that Coach Knight uh, emphasized. So, I, I mean, I had an amazing uh, training right there. So I think that's that's when I, I started really taking it seriously. But still, in high school, I wasn't thinking, okay, which college am I going to go to? I, I had no aspirations or dreams or thoughts basically of playing college basketball that wasn't you know like on my radar screen like man I'm doing this so that I can do that I I was just doing this without a plan in place and so that's and that's a big difference uh than in today's world no kidding (laughs) isn't that crazy how how it's changed but Anyway, that's that's a little snapshot as to I hopefully answered your question. Yes, you did, and you arrive at St. Joe's. There's and... a there's a player there who's a year older than you. Did, did this guy? What was his name? Uh, John Laskowski. That's a weird name. What was that guy about? Yeah, he was uh, interesting. Like he he had uh, was raised by his mother, so you know he and I had some similarities. In that regard, but no, Laz was, uh, uh, yeah, he was a year ahead of me, and he set the city scoring record uh, my senior year, and then I got to break his city scoring record the next year. <laughs> That's right. And, but what's so humbling and cool is the the following year, uh, Jim Webb from um, John Adams High School. <laughs> broke broke the city scoring record so <laughs> it was just uh, traded but yeah Laz and I uh, got to play uh, together one one season because this is a little bit interesting again talking about how things have changed I didn't dress one game of varsity until my junior year wow so I was on the freshman team as a freshman um, as a sophomore I was on the JV um, but then as a, as a junior, I was, um, you know, on the varsity team and was second scorer behind Laz. Laz, I think, averaged 29. I averaged like 16. Uh, so that was probably when the moment that I realized that, man, I, I could be pretty good at this game. And, and I still didn't probably look at college as my next step but then certainly during my senior year it's when it became and you get all these letters in the mail that's when I started thinking well maybe college basketball would be a possibility I'm curious at this point in your basketball career where 
forgetting you thinking about playing college basketball, but I'm just curious, where did Indiana University figure into just your life growing up in South Bend? Were you someone who had heard stories of the great Branch McCracken? Was Indiana part of the lore of a kid growing up in South Bend the way that it is you know, or the way that it was for Ward and I when we were growing up, because truthfully, of people like you, Haber, but but and and the people before you and that played after you, what was Indiana University to you at this time in your life? Well, um, interestingly, Spike enters the picture, and he becomes a student at IU. So, uh, as a for most of my high school and late grade school, I mean, I knew of IU. It was what three or four hours away but it i couldn't have named probably branch mccracken or many of the players in the era uh be you know before you know in in the the 60s i would say sure um so it was i certainly didn't have a negative uh thought about it but here's what's crazy as a 17 year old kid i I did not want to go to Notre Dame because it was right in South Bend. I, I looked at once I did get an opportunity uh, to go to a college, I, I was ready to try something outside of my own hometown. So, I mean, I didn't realize as a 17 year old, how great of an institution Notre Dame is and the education, et cetera. So, um, you know, that's when Indiana became, uh, because of my brother Spike being down there, like, man, that'd be awesome to go to a school like that. But uh, wasn't on my radar screen as, boy, I just would love to be a, a Hoosier because right. it, it just was, it was Notre Dame uh, brainwash. But <laughs> at the point, I, I was like, well, I, I want to sort of get out of South Bend if I can for for a season here, uh, four years. So between your brother and Laz, when did you have your first contact with Indiana University and ultimately Coach Bobby Knight? Well, uh, back in the day, uh, once you got on the radar screen of colleges, you get these letters, form letters, generic letters, etc. So I received letters in my junior year from Indiana University and, um, you know, Coach Knight obviously was the coach at the time and he, uh, you know, had written me, but it wasn't, interestingly, as I look back at the recruiting process, um, unlike today, uh, there wasn't a ton of um, interaction between coach and player um and as it really worked out if i look back at the most intense interaction i had it was with purdue purdue was uh, much more aggressive in recruiting me and again coach knight and iu was showed interest genuine interest but it wasn't uh you know a, a full court press like you know, some some colleges uh, were, were starting to to employ. Do you think that's because Purdue was desperate and they they knew they were a terrible program and they were just <laughs> doing whatever they could? Oh, 
No, I, I'm 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 a very neutral. Uh, I, mean, I, I I like Purdue and, Aber, and coaches. Aber, you can't say that here. <laughs> I I know you'll delete that. Yeah, I'm exactly. Sure we got to we've got to protect so. you from yourself. Here. <laughs> um, so uh, let's get into your senior year. You get rid of Laz. He moves on so that you can show your scoring prowess, which you did, averaging twenty five point nine points a game. And where in your junior year you fell short of the sectional championship, you get back to the sectional championship, and this time your uh, the outcome is different. Walk us through winning the sectional championship your senior year and what that meant to you and the community. Well, you know, the, the year before, I think we were a top five team, maybe top three team going into the sectional. Uh, South Bend has always had a very competitive uh, group of teams. Um, so we drew John Adams, Laz, Laz and my, you know, Laz's senior year, my junior year, and we lost in the opening game. So it was a wake-up call. It was a shock, and it was, you know, it's life. I mean, it, mm-hmm. honestly, um, it, it – they were better than us, and we took it and moved on. But the growing up in South Bend and playing so much outside with other high school guys, there's a city tournament uh, held at Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, it's a big it, to me. It was a huge deal to compete against these guys and then get a chance to win the sectional and this is this is probably selfish on my part but when you're uh, you have different roles on different teams so as i look back at high school if i didn't score we weren't probably going to be very successful and the only way i scored so much is that donawal the coach made everybody on our team get the ball to me and i i had a lot of <laughs> easy shots and whatever so is but when you're a leader and a big scorer on a team you almost at least so i'm comparing it to winning the national championship and so as you had mentioned i was all tournament team on on that team but i was happily a role player whereas at at st joe i was the dominant player. And so when I walked off the court and I forget, I mean, I think I had like a million rebounds and 36 <laughs> points, you know, that's that final game. And I'm sitting there, you know, as the sectional champion champion. And I knew I had a ton to do with it. That moment in time in my life was, as I compared it even to walking off, you know, in, in, uh, um, Philadelphia, right. Uh, a bigger rush or a bigger, like, Oh man, this is incredible. Uh, so anyway, it's, I don't know what that really means other than 
It's a common you know, theme, though. I have to tell you, it's a common theme. When we talked to Ted Kitchell, he told us the uh, same thing, that, yeah. that winning that sectional for him was more important than winning. It, it was a bigger rush, and f- it was a bigger highlight for him as he looks back at his basketball life than the national championship that he won. Isn't that amazing? It maybe, is. yeah, maybe, the unfor- maybe as you mature, uh, it, that could be part of it. I'm, you're four years older, and you're, you know, you have success, but you know, when you're younger, that first success, maybe, maybe that, uh, you know, that sets a bar that is hard to attain again. But anyway, that's, well, those I, are my, my observations. As uh as a, a Peru boy who uh, was the, the victim of Ted Kitchell's Lewis Cass uh, team that won the sectional, but we would later in, in my day, like we would have these fierce battles with Logan Sport and then also being down in Bloomington and being a part of incredible rivalries as a fan against a Purdue or a Michigan State coming to town. I wonder if some of the uh, thrill of the sectionals and I'm only coming at this as as a fan and I was a mascot for one year, too. Um, is because you know everybody. Like, I knew all the players. The players knew me. Everybody in the fans, you know, the fans, the parents, the teachers, the coaches, the community, it's so intimate. And Peru is a smaller town, as Lewis Cass was. I wonder in South Bend, could that be part of it, too, that you all knew each other? Matt Nover said this about Chesterton, which is, again, is a smaller town. But in South Bend, was it still the case where at least everybody in and around your high school all knew each other, so when you won it was such a collective victory yeah that's i mean i i i agree uh i think part of it too was uh, notre dame was a, a sort of a melting pot for uh, there's some great courts right there on the campus that a lot of us high school players and then there's co- college guys that would play there but we would play against each other in the summer and you know, you had the city tournament uh, that you know were was was a big deal. You played at, on the Notre Dame uh, court in in their arena. So I think, and you know, quite honestly, South Bend they had an amazing newspaper, South Bend Tribune, and they would write up um, stories and they would make it big. And I think. Um, everyone sort of knew everybody and you know again it maybe it was in our own minds that we felt it was a big deal but uh it felt uh you felt like man you've accomplished something if you can you know beat these guys you know in the other part of the city it's funny just a a personal story i played basketball through high school in st louis missouri and in the st louis newspaper Obviously, basketball was not as big in Missouri as it is in Indiana. So they, right. would, they would be one page every day, that, and basketball games were typically played on Tuesday and Friday in, in, in Missouri. If uh-huh. you wanted to make the paper, so there would be one page in the sports section that would list all the box scores for all the high school games in St. Louis. But if you wanted to uh-huh. make the paper, you had to score six points as an individual, or get five rebounds or five assists. If you got anything <laughs> under those thresholds, you would never make it. I think I made the paper twice. I was like, what about charges taken? No, you would have made did. it every time. I know. I lobbied for <laughs> charges taken, but they did not uh, They did not abide. Um, so here's – here. let me, let yeah. me uh, uh, use you as an example then. So I had mentioned earlier in our talk that 
things have changed so much. And like, I, I wasn't worried about college or I wasn't worried yeah. about playing varsity. I was just happy to do whatever. And statistics were the last thing in my thought process. And, you know, I think it's just become such a, a draw of, okay, if I do this, I'm going to get noticed. And, and once you, once you cross that line, I think you, you know, you lose something in just playing for the, the, I don't know what the word I'm trying to use, but just playing for the love of playing and trying to please your high school coach, or you're trying to do something for your teammates. I mean, once you start looking at the individual side of it, boy, I think that's what complicates uh, the mix of teams and the chemistry of, you know, of, you know, basketball uh, today. But yeah, well, that's why that's why I was a terrible basketball player. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope to be honest with you, for me, it was less about the statistics. It was more about my friends at other high schools. I wanted them to believe I actually was on the team. I needed (laughs) them to see my name. I did play. (laughs) But I but I think you bring up a really interesting point that uh, I mean, look, this predates fantasy sports, you know, where everything is about statistics, you know, box scores on your cell phone that you can get and people don't watch the games. They just look at the box scores and think that they know the story of the game. You probably didn't know your plus minus while you were on the court. huh? Exactly. Well, Coach Knight did. Uh, I know that. So if. It was a minus pretty quickly. <laughs> well, that's that's a great segue. So uh, I've read about um, a story about really a, a big interaction between you and really your mom and Coach Knight when the recruitment really heated up. Can you walk us through um, whether it was that specific story or just what you remember about the first time you met Coach Knight and what your impression of him was? Well, as the process unfolded, certain teams and, and colleges were more aggressive in calling me a little bit more and just showing genuine interest. Coach uh, was Coach Knight, and you know, as you learn the the recruiting process uh, back then, it was certainly different than it is today. But uh, you target players, and once a player takes a scholarship, then that takes that spot away. And uh, the IU, uh, my freshman class, you know, we had Quinn and, you know, the the list, you know, Jimmy Cruz and Bobby Wilkerson, Scott May. So all the, the spots were spoken for. And there was basically uh, a guy named Albert Fleming from Michigan City, a really good, good player that coach and IU had targeted that if he would take the scholarship uh, there, they couldn't officially give me a scholarship. So in a, in a real sense, I respected the way coach Knight handled it in that he didn't promise and didn't come on so strong that my heart was set or my mom's heart was set that, well, you know, IU is a school. So I think, they did a good enough job of keeping me somewhat interested, but not officially offering me the scholarship until 
uh, Albert Fleming decided to go to Arizona. And so when that happened, then Coach indeed did uh, step up his personal involvement and set an appointment to come to South Bend to make it official that, okay, we would love for you to come to uh, IU. And so my mom is, you know, again, with the history of, of uh, not having a husband and, you know, she's nurtured me quite a bit over my life and stuff. So she just asked him, said, now, how, you know, how much do you really want him? I mean, Purdue and some of these other schools have certainly, you know, played their cards and showed us to the extent of which they want, you know, my little boy to be playing there. Hmm. Uh, you know, so, so she, she put him on the spot a bit and, and, you know, coach, whatever he said, and I, my memory isn't the best, but, uh, he, he must've said enough that coach, uh, walked away, you know, feeling like, well, I've got Mrs. A on my side and, and, you know, I, I knew I wanted to go there at, at that point. I was, I was ready to, to go to Indiana. And again, as much as because of the legacy my brother had introduced me to sure. uh, through his years uh, going to IU. But um, anyway, uh, he, he and my mom had a great talk and I was proud of her for sticking up for me. And, and obviously coach uh, handled it and was charming enough to, to get to the next step here. I, I just want to ask one quick thing about that when you look yep. back on it, because I mean, I know um, from talking to you off uh, this interview, but, but also from just reading and, and watching you over the years in various videos of reunions and things with the 76 team, the, the just utmost respect and admiration that you have for Coach Knight. But when he came to your house in South Bend to do that meeting, he was a young kid coach who had not a, a big reputation behind him. He was just in his second year. You know, your 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 first year at Indiana was his second year coaching mm -hmm. at Indiana. Do, do you look back at that and just kind of like shake your head and go, wow, that young man that walked into our house as a young coach trying to convince my mom to get him is the legend that that is Coach Knight. Is it hard for you to kind of reconcile the the man that you first met with the man that he became? Yeah, it it is, especially as as I'm sitting here at my age right now. I mean, how fast yeah. <laughs> you know, my my view of Coach Knight, even as a young man in his twenties, uh, however old he was when he was you know, recruiting me. To me, I didn't see youth. I didn't think of him, and I don't. I mean, honestly, I I can't. I've never heard my mom say at the time, "Man, this is a young guy." <laughs> I mean, he he presented himself to me as a player, and to my you know certainly to my mom, of someone so much more. Um, uh, polished or uh, seasoned or mature or what, I don't know what the word is. But he had that gravitas from the beginning. Yeah. Right. What's just, that word that you said? A gravitas, like presence. He okay. he had he had an aura about him. He just well, I'm he glad does. That, that you 
They're teaching me words I've never heard. <laughs> Coach Knight taught me words I hadn't heard. Now you're teaching me words I've yeah, never heard. I have this. a feeling those were different words, though. Well, <laughs> Maybe possibly. words we can't say on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, he uh, – anyway, that's – it. yeah, now as I look back and I'm thinking, man, he was young. <laughs> and uh, But the aura and what he gave off was anything but – young and in whatever he was just like someone that you respected so you get down there to bloomington and it's all nice that you've been having these conversations and he's convinced your mother that uh, he really wants you on the team but what is the reality when you get into practice with coach knight and some of these other players. What was the transition like going from high school ball in South Bend to playing for Coach Bobby Knight down in Bloomington? Well, I mentioned uh, earlier that I had a coach named Bob Donawald. And coach Donawald was Coach Knight-like. So I had three full years of an intense demanding, focused coach. So I came to IU having been groomed uh, by Coach Donawald and mainly groomed by my mom, I think, that I did what the coach wanted done. And I wasn't like throughout my whole talk, I think you've heard, you know, I wasn't looking to go get a scholarship or where I was going. I was like, I guess the word's humble. My, my mom is who passed that on humility to me. So I step on campus and I uh, was respectful and tried to do everything I could to please coach Donawald. Uh, so I was pretty well prepared for, um, you know, a coach that was very demanding and very detail-oriented and and very authoritative um, um, when I stepped on the campus. So, you know, I was, I was ready, but I was so humble that, you know, I, I didn't come in saying, man, I'm, I'm going to start on this team or I'm going to turn Indiana University into a unbelievable basketball power i was like man i got a scholarship i'm here i'm gonna listen i'm gonna not rock the boat and i'm gonna uh try to do every possible thing that i'm hearing and carry it out the best i can and uh wherever that you know leads it leads but you know that so that's who he, he got you know in me and so I think that was a pretty successful way to to uh, to go through, you know, four years with coach. Was it helpful to you to have Laz on that team a year ahead of you, somebody you had at least known a little bit and played with? Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it was, you know, I think part of when you take a step from high school into college and then to have one of your teammates you know, right there having doing the same thing. And interestingly, his freshman year, they didn't, he couldn't play on right. the, the main team. So, but 
yeah, it was it was great having having uh, a familiar uh, friend on the team. But um, you ended up learning that everybody was your friend. Right. It was a great team. You guys are top 10 in the country and you end up winning the Big Ten. What did Steve Downing mean to that team as far as the leadership goes on the court and off? Yeah, Steve Downing was awesome. He he and John Ritter, in my mind, were the two leaders uh, from an upperclassman standpoint. Uh, but what's interesting was Coach Knight was was such a strong leader, and I think you know Steve Downing, in my mind, sort of is how I described my role of doing whatever the coach is wanting you to do. And I think Downing was a great role model for all of us uh, in uh, doing, you know, what coach wanted him to do. And, and we needed to get the ball into Steve and Steve could score points. And, you know, so he was, and he was a very quiet guy. Right. Um, and so his leadership wasn't, uh, like a Quinn Buckner, let's use him, those two as examples. But uh, when you have a guy like Downing who just went to work and carried out his assignment and did so well, uh, he, he was a great, you know, great example. And like I said, uh, John Ritter as a starting forward was, uh, you know, a similar uh, guy who, who set the stage a little bit for us as well. So let's talk a little bit about the opposite end of the spectrum from Downing, which is Quinn Buckner. Uh, what was it like playing alongside Quinn? Uh, you guys were in the same class. Did you immediately get a sense that this guy is a bulldog, he's the leader, he's going to become the leader? Uh, well, just tell us what your impressions of Quinn were. Yeah, everything you just said. He, he was a no-nonsense guy. He was dead serious when he did anything. He had just uh, got uh, stepped off the football field. He had a reputation of just winning. Um, so there was like an aura around him that you just don't mess around when you're in Quinn's presence. And so his leadership was... was you know, dynamic, uh, you know, to us as well as probably to Downing and Ritter and everybody on that team. So Quinn, Quinn was just a unique uh, person. And, you know, at that time, you know, just fueled, um, you know, those, as you were reading all those accolades of, you know, winning however many we won and, yeah losing what 12 i mean i would certainly hang that on on quinn uh of anybody that uh was a part of those four years well there was a sophomore who we've gotten to know a little bit a sophomore when you were a freshman named steve green greeno what were your first impressions of him and when did you realize that in the future someday he was going to be your dentist I know uh, he was a goofball, I guess. So that's my first thought of him. I mean, I've, I'd never been around a more uh, fun, uh, 
just great guy. Um, you know, that was a true, a true joy uh, to, to get to know Greeno and we became incredibly close. And I mean, as you talk about a scorer and a guy who uh, carried out the assignment that, that he had to carry out and do it well. Uh, Greeno, I mean, it's so funny. I played behind him for uh, three years and I never dreamed that, man, I'm going to beat Greeno out. I mean, I was so happy to be the, the man because what he brought that no one else, I mean, like me, I mean, he and Scott May, I mean, they could score. They were incredible scorers. Greeno is probably, you know, he was just an incredible shooter, but uh, he was a, not a very good defensive player. And uh, so that's, that's where I was able to sort of compliment uh, our team uh, when, if I went in for Greeno was, well, at least our defense is getting, anyway, I love playing with Greeno and, and he, he kept us loose and he, he was, we, we, laughed and we just goofed around so much but and then he's my dentist and <laughs> did a great job uh, until he retired and so I had to find somebody else but yeah I, I love Greeno well and just one more first impression they're getting down there as a freshman fellow freshman Jim Cruz who also would would be a part of your life forever what what was it like getting to meet and know Jim Cruz boy Jim Cruz to me, I mean, it's like a lot of us were out of the same mold. I mean, he had strong parental, just like Quinn did, just like Greeno did, just like all the strong parent leadership. And they, you know, they had uh, trained up a very responsible, respectful, hardworking, reliable, trustworthy you know, and these are these descriptions go for all the guys that I that you've just asked me about, but you know that that describes uh, Cruzy, and so he was a smart, smart player, and so as a freshman, um, he and Quinn are starting guards on a team that goes to the Final Four, um, and so if you're going to start as a freshman. Uh, you've got savvy that right. is special, and that's what I how I describe Cruzy. He was just a steady and had savvy smarts, and you know he he was just a just a great guy, and just unlike Greeno, Greeno was this goofball. Cruzy was always a practical guy and you could count on him just to be you know right down the middle and not you know in the extremes that that some of us <laughs> guys would exhibit uh, myself included so i'm curious about uh many things but coming from south bend you talked about indiana basketball history wasn't something that was on the forefront of your mind? It wasn't something that you grew up kind of dreaming about. Mm -hmm. You then enter into Indiana University basketball in a time that, that turns out to be the most successful and the most 
uh, formative in terms of what people remember about Indiana. And Coach Knight is obviously the thing that, that everyone rallies around. And we have these amazing rivalries at Indiana. We hate Purdue. I know you don't, but we do. We hate Kentucky. <laughs> we hate Kentucky. And we also know that Coach Knight was not a fan of Kentucky and really wanted to win that game. How did the competitive spirit of wanting to beat those teams specifically, how did that get kind of uh, born into you? Do you remember uh, like a, 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 f- a switch flipping for you that like, oh, okay, now I'm at Indiana. I have to, I have to really hate these teams like Kentucky. Again, I, I being a, an Indiana guy, my parents, my mom and dad both attended Purdue for, wow. I think my, each of them were there for a year or two. Uh, so we knew about the Purdue IU rivalry in general. Coach Knight did an unbelievable job of shielding us from looking at any one team as this is do or die. We have to win this game. I think he had us prepared for every team that we played that this is your biggest game of the season and maybe of your career. And don't lose sight of that because, you know, if you lose sight of it, (laughs) I'm just saying this now editorially, you know, you're going to not be playing. I mean, coach, uh, coach was uh, moment by moment uh, coaching us. And if you weren't present in each of these moments, uh, not nothing got by coach Knight, and, you know, you just wouldn't play. So, I think he did a great job of having us looking at what needed to be done in that particular moment in time. And then, you know, the rivalry and all the, you know, the things that you described may be more fan generated and maybe we internalized certain games, maybe being, boy, this would be huge to, you know, to win this game. But, I can honestly say that beating Wisconsin or beating anybody uh, was huge (laughs) in those four years. Now, when you're talking about coach, making sure you are so present for any one given game, or I would imagine any one given possession, that's clearly something that you can apply off the basketball court. How much did coach try to talk or teach you guys about life beyond basketball because we know he was a great teacher we know he has so many interests beyond basketball military strategy things like this how much would he actually veer into that in conversations with you all or was he so focused on basketball that those life lessons you would then carry with you in those other forms you know, as I reflect, and I, I may have missed a lot, but <laughs> I I don't think he spent an inordinate amount of time saying, okay, I'm doing this X, Y, and Z so that you are going to produce these traits later. I think there was a general um, expectation that uh, these are ways of doing things that are going to be in your best interest, short-term and long-term. Hmm. But I don't think he 
just beat us over the head, you know, as he made points and then said, okay, here's why I did this. Here's what this is going to reflect uh, when you get older. Uh, I think there was a very clear sense that he had huge uh, expectations and desires for our success, you know, long after uh, college. But um, I don't, I don't recall that, you know, he had to, you know, just dumb it down to the point where he was explaining, you know, the cause and the effect of, of each and every uh, issue. So Aber, here you are, young kid, freshman, playing for Indiana University and playing for a coach that would go on to be considered by many the greatest coach who ever coached that game. Was there a moment for you or a time where you realized, oh, I'm not just playing for the, I'm not just playing for another coach here. This guy's a good coach, but no, I'm playing for a very special guy. Did that ever, were you ever able to kind of have the perspective while you're playing for him to realize that? Or are you just present in the moment and trying to get through this practice and that game and then you get perspective afterwards? What you just said ended is is how I would answer that. I think he did such a great job of having us focus on whatever we needed to focus on that we didn't reflect on a bigger picture and didn't try to put, you know, him or him in a uh, story. Um, exactly as you described it uh, is, is you know, how I felt. And I think, you know, as, as acknowledge a lot of those things, but uh, that you described about him as one of the very best, if not the best coach ever. But, boy, when you're playing, you know he's a great coach. you got to do what you need to do. Uh, you're not going to contribute to right. you know, the goal. The goal that season and every season that we've been told by Coach Knight players is, first and foremost, is to win the Big Ten Championship. What did it mean to coach and to you guys – to win the Big Ten Championship? You know, as I recall, Coach, I mean, he wanted, he valued winning the Big Ten Championship. I mean, that was the first championship that, you know, you got to, if you can win the Big Ten Championship, then you have a chance to keep going in the tournament. So, overall, that was a goal, but, um, especially back in the day, you know, you had to win the Big Ten Championship or you didn't get in the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, it, right. it was a big deal uh, to win that. So, um, you know, that freshman year, we did it, and it was uncharted ter uh, territory for certainly everybody on that team, you know, because the older guys hadn't ever experienced it. And all of us, Greeno and Laz and Quinn and, um, cruising, you know, this, we were, you know, brand new into it, but, um, so we won that and, and we just had to keep taking the next step after that. But yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome to win 
win that championship. Well, you did take a couple next steps. You beat number five Marquette as the NCAA tournament started. You then faced Kentucky, rival in the tournament where you beat them. And then you face, in the final four, UCLA. John Wooden's UCLA, ranked number one in the country. And we've had the uh, pleasure of talking to Mr. Downing about this and a couple other people. We got to know from you. Was it a foul on Downing or Walton at the end, near the end of that game that really turned things? Well, it really turned things. Who it was on, man, I, I, I can't honestly play enough. I just have read enough about it, heard people, you know, talking about it that, you know, but it was a turning point. So whichever way it went, it was going to, sway the outcome of the game and it, it is what it is but I I don't know as a player I, I don't whine about it and oh this is so Downing may feel differently you know, <laughs> he was a senior but um, so I, I, I'm a bad I'm a bad guy to ask that question <laughs> just like I don't hate Purdue right I, I exactly we're, we're, you're way too measured and smart and wise and kind for our liking. That's the problem with you, Aber. No, it, I think it's perfect. He balances us out. Yes. It, it's, it's, a, it's a striking balance we have here. So yeah. so your freshman year, you go to the Final Four. Uh, you got to be thinking, wow, this is fun. This is what college basketball is all about. Uh, it seems like Coach Knight has things uh, clicking. But and then, then, oh, I was going to say, like, going into the next year, are you ready for the next year, Eric? Yes, I was going to go into who you are joined by on that team. Right, yeah. Let's talk about a couple of these guys. Want to go through them one by one? Yeah, I mean, the big ones, obviously, are Mr. Scott May and Kent Benson. And and, and Bobby Wilkerson's in the mix now, Well, Wilkerson too. was on the first team, right? He Did, was 72 no, no, He didn't no, play. No, no. I thought it was... Hey, it was let's... Can we strike that whole section and start over? Yes. So you sound really good, Eric. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it's okay. I don't mind sounding stupid. Okay, well, let's start with Scott May. So you are joined by Scott May. What What was your take on him, this guy who just ends up being, you know, one of the best college basketball players ever? Did you know he was going to be that good when you first saw him on campus and started practicing with him? Oh, man. He was a man amongst boys. So I was a boy. He was a man. I mean, that all of us, Greeno was a boy. Laz was like a baby. <laughs> I mean, this guy was so strong and so he was like probably comparing him to LeBron James. I mean, he just was incredible. Uh as uh, not only a, as an athlete, but you know, as a basketball player. So, yeah, we knew we knew what we had with Scott May. Uh, I know Coach knew what he he was he was thrilled, you know, when he was able to play. And what, what, Scott was another guy, though. That am I wrong here in saying that Scott was not the vocal leader the way like Quinn was? That Scott was yeah, a guy who it, led by his actions. Absolutely. I'd say, you know, I'd compare him to Steve Downing in that regard. Mm. Uh, but yeah, no, he was so happy to to stay under the radar and let other guys, you know, talk and do whatever. But yeah, he just no nonsense, sort of like Quinn. I mean, he just went and went to work and 
killed people and <laughs> what what about Bobby Wilkerson? What did he bring uh to the court and to the locker room? Yeah, Bobby and I have so many similarities growing up in Indiana, uh being on the Indiana All Star team together. And um he was so unique as a player. You know, he's six seven and you know, an unbelievable wingspan and defense, uh, just incredible defense and jumping ability. So, I mean, he was just an incredible athlete and very quiet as well. I mean, he and Scott uh, were, you know, both very, you know, not overly vocal, but boy, you just didn't mess around with, with Bobby and you know, you put Bobby and, and Quinn together uh, <laughs> against opposing guards. I mean, it was unbelievable how they would just eat up the other uh, other team. Was Bobby jumping? Was he doing the jump ball right away? Yeah, he. I I I'd have to look at at all the games, but um, at a certain point, he became the guy jumping. I I can't honestly say that he did that from from his sophomore year on or not, but yeah, he, 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 he was our best jumper and, uh, had the best reach. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the, here's the thing about Bobby. So, um, against UCLA in the final four, he has 19 rebounds. Yes. 19 uh, rebounds as a guard. So, I mean, he's, he just had unlimited, uh, value, uh, and ability. And I, I could say that about so many of those guys. I mean, probably, I mean, just using that concept, I mean, we're really getting off on a rabbit. Trail, no, it's good. This is what we do here. These guys, you know, 19 rebounds and Bobby Wilkerson on any other big 10 team would be 18 to 20 points or more double-digit rebounds. I mean, he'd be a statistic machine. He gave all of, not all of it, but he gave up so much to to fit the piece and play the role that coach needed. Quinn Buckner, exactly the same. He threw out his own personal glories of scoring and these things. And the third guy is... is uh, Jimmy Cruz, here's a guy who starts on the Final Four team as a freshman, and Bobby comes in, and he his role the, the last three years is totally different and never uh, uttered a word of dismay or a jealousy. I mean, he probably was, I would think, but uh, never conveyed it. So, I mean, those are three guards that I look at and I say that mentality is what made us successful for those four years. That Those three guys embodied the unselfish nature and the willingness to take whatever role was needed and available and do what they could with it and um, the rest was history. But you know what, Aber, it was all of you guys. And, and it brings up this point that we've heard from a couple different people. 
When people talk about the genius of Coach Knight, they talk about how demanding he was. They talk about his strive for perfection. They talk about his his incredible strategy and what he would do to plan for a game and how, how prepared he was. But the thing that doesn't get talked about enough, truthfully, and we've heard it just a couple times, is his recruiting. Because everything you just said about how you had guys that were willing to take the role and to be the role, that is something that being honest that, that's not that something that coach knight like taught people it's not like you brought in selfish people and then all of a sudden coach's genius made them unselfish no coach's mm-hmm. genius was targeting the people that would be unselfish and he knew that he could mold them into the roles that he needed but to do that you need people that are willing to embrace that role and while i think some people look at recruiting on oh did you get the top 5 star in the ranking Really what recruiting means is are you recruiting the kind of player that fits your system so that you can be as effective as possible? And Coach clearly did that better than anyone for a long time at Indiana. I couldn't agree more. Uh, You know, he, whether that was his exact plan from day one, uh, but boy, it certainly proved out that the, the type of people that he recruited to fit the system that he was employing and wanted to employ, it was, it was, uh, you know, an ideal perfect fit. Um, so, you know, that's, that is a understated part of, of his, uh, legacy probably, but you know, the, the other interesting point is, and the last thing any of us were thinking about, at least me, you know, that, our 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 freshman group that came in were had I don't know how they rate these things, but we were the number one rate class that year. So the everything that you've just said is true, but we had Quinn Buckner, Scott yeah. May, Bobby <laughs> Wilkerson. We had incredible players. You had great, so, well, uh, and I but I, great players that fit together too. Yeah, that fit together exactly, but it wasn't just all. You know, guys who <laughs> couldn't play because right. <laughs> somehow they they ranked us the number one. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, incoming freshman class, and so it, they they were right on that one. And yes. we're we're in this day and age of <clears throat> so many recruiting experts and YouTube videos and columns being written about and unofficial visits and summer AAU basketball where coaches can see these players. I'm just blown away by how well coach could put a recruiting class like that together with so much less information and so much less contact than there is today. Is that just, is there a little bit of luck involved there or is that just something where all he needed was one time to see a player or to talk to a recruit and the recruits parents. And he just knew that was like part of his brilliance or, or, or do you kind of have to get lucky, especially early on? Boy, Ward, I think, there's a combination of, of both of those things. I think coach would readily say that, you know, he couldn't have projected the outcome of, you know, you know, our group as an example that boy, specifically this is going to happen. But I think he looked at the upbringing of, you know, the parenting, the, the, the coach in talking to high school coaches I think he knew the type of person and the type of player that 
he was getting. So, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of programs, you know, do their homework in that way. But, you know, there was, you know, a lot of great things that fell in place. And, and honestly, I don't know if it was luck as much as once he had the pieces, I think he helped each one of us develop to get the most out of what he started with. So I, I think, you know, again, I, I just give a lot of uh, applause, you know, to Coach Knight and the job he did. So not only did he recruit, but he developed each of us and each of the, the great players and, and, and made them even better. So one more uh, evaluation we need from you on a, on a, a pretty big piece of the puzzle, both literally and figuratively. Huge. Kent Benson. Talk to us about Benny. Yeah, Benny, poor Benny. <laughs> you know, we, we had a huge recruiting class. I think we had like seven, eight, or nine guys come in that year. You know, we had um, Don Nort. We had Craig Morris. You know, we had guys that, you know, didn't stay with the program, you know, for all the years. But so we, you know, we the one year there's a big truckload of us coming, and the next year Benny's alone. So <laughs> poor guy. Uh, so we had a lot of, lot of us that – you know, tried to boss him around a little bit, and, you know, like uh, humble him. So yeah. that, that's why I say poor Benny. He yeah. he just had had uh, didn't have a lot of uh, of his uh, support staff uh, his age. But no, he he uh, came in and was a piece that was so unique in that he had the size and he had the talent and the ability and the, uh, just the raw uh, skills that uh, really enhanced, you know, our, you know, what coach had, had in mind and, and coach did a, just a masterful job of using him to the best of his abilities and him, you know, fitting right in with, uh, you know, with just everything that, that was, was beginning to happen. So you guys are essentially, <clears throat> pardon me, a top 10 team for most of the season. You go all the way up to 20 and four and you're tied for the big 10 lead. And this is a different era. And to win the championship, you have to go play Michigan in a tiebreaker after you split during the regular season. You have to play them at a neutral court uh, in Champaign. And you guys end up losing that game, but but technically they did win the Big Ten championship because that game is a play-in game. So technically, Indiana yeah. did win the Big Ten championship that year with Michigan. Right, it was a tie. It yes, was a tie. Co champions, but to the 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 point of the play-in was who was going to go to the NCAA right. tournament. So um, we we heard uh, from one of your previous teammates. I forget which one. So it was a little bit like kissing your sister to just tie for the Big Ten championship. But uh, but that's still a title. But how how heartbreaking was it to not get to go to the NCAA tournament? Was that a, a tough pill to swallow? You know, I'm, I'm giving you my perspective all these years later. Um, you know, we lost uh, a legitimate game to a great team. You know, Campy Russell, C.J. Kupek, they had a had a great team. We lost. 
And once you lose, you know, if it's the last game of an NCAA season, uh, then you're finished. But, well, I mean, this is really a rabbit trail. But so we lost to UCLA our freshman year. And at that time, you played the third and fourth, the consolation game. Right. You played so Providence. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't our final uh, game. And so anyway, so you go on and we ended up beating Providence. And anyway, it was a fun way to end, actually. Hey, we ended the season on a win. <laughs> but I'm, it wasn't the, the win we wanted. But so then the next year, we lose that game. And... We we get to be in the one and only CCA <laughs> tournament. We, so we we had work to, to, to continue to do. So in other words, instead of dwelling on, man, we just blew it. It's like, well, what are we going to do next? And we just went, went and played in that tournament. Well, but, we've got to ask you about that, though, because we've talked to Laz and we've talked to Greeno. And there is... Uh, and Cruz. And Cruz. There's some funny stories surrounding actually playing in that tournament because apparently coach Knight wanted nothing to do with that tournament. He was like, that's it. We didn't make the NCAA. I don't want to play in it. And we do know also that coach did have a very big fondness for the NIT tournament, which dates back to his days at West Point where West Point played in the NIT and, and coach really, really liked that tournament and playing in New York. But apparently he did not want to play in this tournament and the story we heard was that the administration of Indiana came to him and goes, no, no, coach, you're going to play in this tournament. Coach said, no, 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 I don't want to play in this tournament. And they said, no, you got to play in this tournament. We heard that well, stories. So you know, a lot, you, you know a lot more than I know. All I know is I was at a meeting at our dorm in a big conference room uh, the, probably the Monday after we lost to Michigan. And he gave us a vote. Right. He said, "Okay, do you let's vote on you know? Do you guys really want to play in the CCA tournament?" So we looked at each other all around the table, and eh, no, probably not. <laughs> you know, that if we don't have to keep practicing and play in that tournament, eh, no. So we voted, and the vote was, "Okay, we're not going to go." So. Within about three hours, we got a phone call say, get over to practice. We're playing in that tournament. <laughs> so what happened between that vote and, you know, that practice and then playing in the tournament? I don't know what the administration said or what coach said, but anyway, that that's the, the end result. The way, the way Laz tells it, which is really funny, is that, you know, coach did not want to play in it. The administration wanted him to play in it. He then said, all right, listen, I'm going to let the – I'm going to let the players vote. We'll see. And so he left it up to you guys. He took everybody's secret vote. He then goes into a room, counts the votes, clearly didn't give him the result that he wanted. He comes out and he goes, all right, we're playing in the tournament. You guys decided. And all of you guys look around going, I didn't vote for playing the tournament. See, that's a difference between Laz and me. I, I didn't know all the behind the scenes thing. All I know is I made a vote and our team voted not to go and how how it happened and right what coach really wanted cuz i i mean i think i sort of agree i don't think he wanted to play in it right but so there had to be more to the story i mean it still had to be fun to end the the season on a win right go whip on three teams and and call it a day 
Well, I mean, honestly, if you look at what we've been talking about as we reflect, as I reflected back, the whole mantra for for all four years was, what do we have in front of us? What do we have to deal with at this particular moment in time? So, heck, you're going to play a game, whoever it was. I couldn't tell you who we played over there. Tennessee. But every game. It was Tennessee. Was it? Uh, you you okay. narrowly beat Tennessee and Toledo. You edged them both out by one point each, each and then you uh, you took down USC in the championship. Wow. One point. Both those were one-point games. Two points, Tennessee, is what I Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. That's 73 71. But then, then Toledo was in overtime. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> well, um, by the way, Aber, what, so, I lo- what I love about you, what I love about this yeah. conversation is when you go undefeated in 1976 and you almost go undefeated in 75 and you win the title and that's how you end your career, you don't uh-huh. remember who you play in the CCA tournament. <laughs> you don't have to no. commit that to memory when you have those other great memories. <laughs> I love that. Well, I'm not sure. The, the, the sad part is I'm not sure I can tell you who we played those other years either. <laughs> so, you just know uh, you got a banner. That's what you know. Yeah, that's 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 how stupid I guess I am. I'm <laughs> like, okay, what did I do yesterday? Okay. Right. That's why I'm a bad guy for these podcasts. No, I don't no, no, have, no. I I don't have the stories. I mean, the podcast I'd want to hear is Steve Green. I mean, oh, he gave you us talk good about stuff. a storyteller. Yeah, that guy is incredible. I just he is. Love he it. is we, just a Jimmy born Cruz is. Jim Cruz has turned into an unbelievable storyteller. Well, look, Um, this is something we have noticed, uh, especially with a lot of Coach Knight guys. And we know Coach is a great storyteller. He's he's, he's great with anecdotes and jokes and stories. And we wonder, is that something that you guys were learning from him, too, that 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 you guys became better storytellers and and joke tellers because you were around him for four years? I mean that's a it's a good question, but I, I think Greeno was so unique as a joke teller and a absolute crazy guy. That I don't <laughs> think he could he could blame that on Coach Knight. Well, let's that get let's get to seventy four seventy five, where really this this magical run starts. The, the second game of the year, as I was looking back at your um, at, at the record in the games, the second game of the year you play at Kansas. And you beat Kansas in overtime, 74 to 71. Very close game. That's really the last close game for quite a while. 22 of your next 23 games, you win by double digits. I mean, you are just crushing teams in the Big Ten. How did you know going into that season, coming off the CCA tournament, did you know? Aber, I know I know you've talked about humility, which you obviously have in abundance, but you had to know in your heart of hearts, man, this team is really good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we 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 would never tell Coach Knight that, right. that boy, we're good, Coach. <laughs> See these scores or no. I mean, you, you know, we it was it was a unbelievable team and an unbelievable season um it was uh yeah a lot a lot different than our our senior year because we were killing teams um in beating them you know by 
by a ton. Um, yeah, so we, we knew, uh, you know, I think we knew we were good, but, you know, again, coach did a good job of keeping us humble because you look up one time you're in, you know, you're, you're going to lose, which unfortunately happened. But uh, did you, obviously you're undefeated up until the elite eight game, but I know going into 75, 76 coaches talked about this, that there was only one goal in 75, 76, which is we got to beat everybody. Like we're good enough to beat everyone in the 74, 75 season. Do you remember it all feeling any pressure of being undefeated, uh, a goal of going undefeated? Did any of that ever figure in? throughout the season? Um, I don't, I mean, as again, I'm so far removed from all the specifics. I don't, I, 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 I look at both those years of let's, let's do the best we can do today right. in this game and not worry about, you know, undefeated. I mean, that's my honest sure. opinion and feel of both seven, you know, both, both seasons. It's like, man, let's, let's take care of business. And I hate to say it, but I mean, I'll honestly say a big part of, of what drove us, at least drove me and drove a lot of us. I think we, d- we didn't want to lose and then have to, um, go to practice the next day. You know? I mean, seriously. No, that is a we, that is a refrain like, we have heard many oh, times from coaches, players. Oh, it's so nice to to walk off the court and know, you know, hey. But you know, it's also funny, especially our senior year. I mean, you would have thought we were five hundred by the <laughs> way the practices were. I mean, it was like. Man, we won. I thought uh, it's going to be a little chilled uh, practice, but no, it was pretty hard. So one of, but the... still, it was it, honestly it was it was a great uh, motivator to to win and know, hey, we <laughs> we still have a zero on the other side of our record. When you guys are clicking like that, and and your rotation is is you know pretty well set and however many of you are are getting through in a given game and you all know your role so well and you're destroying teams is that as much fun as you've ever had on or off the basketball court or are you guys just in as Matt Nover said a a flow state most of the time where you're you're really just in a groove almost for entire games and an entire season um, I, I'm not sure what it was. I mean, it's here's, here's, this is off topic probably, but as I reflect, we, especially my junior year, I was the seventh man. Okay. Laz was always the sixth man. And then I would go in as the, the first big guy off the bench. So we were rolling so well. I mean, I could honestly say I'm not sure how much I played or how many minutes I played or how many points I scored. And honestly, I, I didn't give a care about that. And so, I mean, I think the mentality, at least I that I had, and I think it was reflected by my teammates too, you know, who cares who's on the court? 
I mean, in this day and age, you know, I watch games and certain players, you know, it's a 20-point blowout, but yet the star players have to be out on the court so that they can get their statistics, so that they can get in the NBA and they can, you know, have feel good about themselves. And, you know, back in our day, you know, it was not – you know, no one was like kept in the game so they could get their uh, points. It was, hey, let's do what we got to do. And, you know, if we're up 20, you know, the 13th, 14th, and 15th guy's going to get in. So, I mean, it was funny. I Over the, the earlier couple of years, my sophomore and junior year, I mean, I probably was the guy would go in and then I'd come out. I'm like, I probably played five minutes or something, but you know, the guys who are in practice that never played that much, you know, they got as much playing time as I did. So anyway, I don't know why I'm saying all that, but we, you know, so that is fun. I mean, that's really fun when, you know, everybody can be a part of it and we can all say, Hey, you know, we we still have a zero next to our name. We're not. Uh, we're we don't have anything to be uh, sad about. The the other Let's thing that, that I find way. interesting, and Benny, uh, when he came on the show, talked to us a little bit about this, and and I believe Cruz might have mentioned this as well. But while you may have only played uh, some of the 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 bench players, the sixth man, seventh man, and then and so forth, may have only played a couple minutes here and there in games. As Benny put it, the hardest game that the team played, that the starters played in 75 and 76, was in practice against the second five. He said that that, what we would do in practice against those five guys, the other five guys, was harder than any game. He said when we would get to the games, the games would almost be like relief. The practices were harder. The five guys we were going against who knew what we were going to run, who ran it just as good as us, so here again is an example of what makes a great team, that all the stuff we don't see. You may only play five minutes in a game, but you played 40 minutes in practice against the team, the five starters, that, that end up getting the lion's share of minutes. So all those minutes you're playing in practice, they're so crucial to the final product. And us as fans, we don't get to see any of that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That Those practices were... You know, those those were definitely harder than the game. And it maybe it wasn't because our second unit was so good. It was because 15 guys or 13, however many we had on the team. I mean, we went 100% every minute. You know, we, we just – so I, I attribute that to Coach Knight. Sure. In – the tone that he set and the seriousness that he set. And then, you know, the guys on the team that were willing not to chill and, you know, go half speed. I mean, all of us were pretty uh, tuned in at, at given everything. And maybe it wasn't because we wanted to work so hard or we were so good. It was because coach Knight and the assistant coaches, they stayed on us during those practices. So so I think it's a combination maybe of of maybe some of the ability some some of the guys had, but also just the tone and the expectation and the focus that um, was expected, the culture 
that Coach Knight and and the coaches you know brought every single day, uh, and like I like they've all said, and I agree, practice was was uh, easier uh, than game day. Well, a tough game for the whole team in this hey, magical year. You know what I just said? The, the it was uh, the opposite practice. <laughs> this is what's great, and hopefully you do have that good edit ability. It's okay. I mean, the pra- yeah, I can't believe I said it was easier. I said those practices were so much harder than, you know, the games were easy in comparison to yeah. uh, the practices. So you, you had 25 games where you didn't lose. And then you got to the 26th game and, and you won the game against Purdue, but there was a big loss when Scott May broke his arm. How did that affect you and the team when it happened? And then how did you approach the rest of the season moving forward um i would say i mean this our coaches they it it probably affected them a heck of a lot more than maybe us so i could only imagine okay losing scott may what what are we going to do how are we going to compensate for it and so I think the mantra that, or you know, that sort of the the view that I have as a player was, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to what coach has uh, planned for us, and, and I'm gonna fall right in and do what. And I think everybody again had that same thought process, and you know, I don't honestly, I don't think that we dwelled a ton on Scott's injury and I you know I were just it was uncharted territory but we were hopeful that we could um, you know carry on but there's no question we were a lot worse of a team without you know our leading score for sure. Well you get to the Elite Eight and you play the rival Kentucky here uh, really tight game. You end up losing ninety-two to ninety. A game in which uh, Coach Knight, uh, since has really taken the blame for uh, and responsibility uh, because he changed things up a little bit, and especially when it came to uh, something you talked about earlier, which was Wilkerson and Buckner against guards would just shut people down because they were just the two best defensive guards in the country, and Coach tried a little something different there and had Wilkerson, I believe, guarding a forward and and blames himself. Again, just talk uh, talking about how amazing of a coach Coach Knight is. He was never going to let his players take the blame for that game. He put it on himself. Um, season ends, but now there really is one thing left to do for this group. You've got a senior class of which you are a big part of. You lose Laskowski and Greeno. You've got seniors in you and Scotty May and Wilkerson, and, and it is this is going to be the year. There's unfinished business. Really the only way to end this year would be to win a national championship to satisfy, I think, the fans and to satisfy coaches' expectations. And you far exceed even that by having just the most magical year you can that, that could possibly happen with an undefeated season. But the thing I want to talk to you about that's really interesting, because 
a mantra that you've kind of given us throughout this is playing your role. And you were always happy just to play your role on the team. Well, your role the first three years at Indiana was one thing. But losing Steve Green and Laskowski, your role significantly changes in your senior year. And you end up being the third leading scorer on a national championship undefeated team. You're scoring 10 points a game, 5.3 rebounds. You're playing more minutes. You're in the starting lineup. Did you have to have a conversation with Coach about what your role would be going into the senior year? Or was it something that you just kind of knew because of who was leaving? What I admire about Steve Green is there's a heck of a responsibility when you're the starter versus being the seven, the guy coming off the bench as his sub. So, I mean, I spent a lot of time. What was the, the, the upside of being the seventh guy on that those teams, my soft, freshman, sophomore, and junior year, is we'd have like 15 or 14, 13 guys. So there's Laz and I would stand on the sideline to come in for the starters and – you know, wouldn't have to be out there killing ourselves and practicing so hard. So I'm on the sideline with a real serious look and <laughs> Greeno is working like crazy. And then I'll go in for about two minutes and then, okay, get me the starter. <laughs> and so we would laugh like crazy, like, man, this is, this is a pretty good gig I've got. So then I'm starting the next year and it's like, dang, there's a responsibility here. I got <laughs> I got to be like Greeno and now I see heck, I admired him even more after you know that. But once you start playing and once you know the the games uh begin, I mean obviously I was fighting like crazy to show that I did earn a spot, you know, uh, on that team and so you know, I just tried to, um, you know, just be contributing. And as the the way our team was structured, you know, our three leading scores were inside guys. And um, it's because, you know, the ball was free flowing. And but we all, you know, we tried to get great shots. And there, fortunately, there was no three point line that tempted <laughs> all of us to you know, launch a lot of, you know, crazier shots. But so anyway, yeah, it was it was uh, a big step and a big opportunity for me. And um, again, the mantra, or I keep using the word mantra, and I don't know why, but you know, the the mindset was, hey, what what can I do to you know contribute? And it's really what I had and brought to the table. And so this happened to be I played a lot of minutes and. You know, had to play a lot of defense because that was more why I was out there than I was, uh, you know, to to bring tons of points to the the table. Before we get into the meat of this magical season, there was a exceptional exhibition game against the reigning world champions, the Soviet national team. What was it like to play them? at the brand-new Market Square Arena in front of the Hoosier faithful and and to take them down? Yeah, that you know what? Coach is so patriotic, and I'm sure he, you know, there were a lot of reasons why he wanted to win that, that game, but, you know, we were well-prepared, re, well and um, anyway, we were ready to... 
to go to battle against, you know, a great team. And, you know, we were, you know, fresh off of losing to Kentucky. So, I, you know, I think it was exciting in all the ways you described with being at Market Square, playing the Russians, and uh, Coach was really into the game and uh, really uh, helped, you know, keep us focused and keep us going. But, yeah, it was a great, great way to start that season. Before we, we get into, like Ward said, the meat here, I'm just curious, Aber, do you know how many home games you lost in your four years at Indiana? I have no clue. <laughs> Would it surprise you if I told you that you lost one in four years, just one home game? Well, I can remember losing to Notre Dame. That was it? Was that the game? Yeah. That was it. Yeah, that that was, yeah. You did not yeah, lose that, a Big Ten home game in four years playing at Indiana. Wow. That's I mean, crazy. it's yeah. staggering. <laughs> it's insane. It, it really is, is staggering. And you lost a total of five Big Ten games your entire career. Indiana right now is four and three in the Big Ten. And we're happy about <laughs> it. We're happy. <laughs> we lost three already this season. You lost five your whole career. I mean, well, here's the thing. Let, let's just be realistic. I mean, the level of competition in the United States of America from, you know, throughout, you know, every conference, there are million, there are so many great basketball players and there are, I mean, it's a different era and, you know, like, let's just look at women's, I mean, I don't know why I'm going into this, but, you know, Women's basketball, you know, how UConn is one, you know, there's like four or five teams yeah. that seem to win for the last 10 years. So I think back in the day when we were playing, there just wasn't the depth of great players, thus great teams. I think today, the comparison to our losing only X amount of games to, you know, Big Ten schools or whatever. And, you know, our four and three record, I mean, it, it's it's a whole different uh, ball game. It, uh, it as is. As far as the competition. There is the no field. doubt. So, anyway. There's no doubt. But you are still playing against Purdue every year twice. You're still playing against Michigan, Ohio State. There were very good teams that you were playing against. Yeah, and I yeah. agree. The depth is where the difference is. And it's a really interesting point that, you know, back then you may have had, you know, 12 teams that that shared the majority of the talent and now you probably have a hundred teams that share yep, that's, the top end you said talent. it much better than i did thank you um, that, <laughs> but but all that said the string of success that you had over those four years is you cannot rationalize it it is just sensational was and, it was it ever said out loud that you guys were going to go undefeated and win the national championship? Did anybody actually have to look at each other in the locker room or on the practice court and be like, "We're not going to lose," or was it just understood? It's understood by the determination uh, that we wanted uh, um, to do that. I mean, you know, it learned our junior year as as good as you are and as you know you know we we you don't write your own script in life and we you know we certainly wanted to win the national championship that year we certainly wanted to win it our senior year but 
you know, it's it's reality TV. It's live action and millions of little things go into outcomes. And so I think that in a microcosm is at least how I approached uh, the way I played was in the way I was taught by coach. There are millions of, of inputs that can affect a game. And the more of those that you can do it in a way that uh, is how you've been sort of shown and taught and whatever, you know, you get enough of you guys on the team doing that, you know, over time, your percentages and your, the odds of winning those games goes up dramatically. And so um, the outcome is undefeated in national championship. But as we learned the year before, there's no, you know, there's no guarantee of that happening without going through the, you know, the moment by moment tasks that are required to make that happen. Exactly. Well, moment by moment, you kicked butt that year and you get to the <laughs> NCAA tournament where, again, I think people now look at the NCAA tournament and what it has become and you go, okay, if you're the best team in the country, your first game is against a bad team. You're going to win that. That's easy. Your second game, not a great team. You'll probably win that. You're in the Sweet 16 if you're a number one seed. That's not how it was when you were playing in 1976. Your first round game was against a very good St. John's team who was ranked 17th in the country. You beat them by 20. Your second round game is against the number six ranked team in the country, Alabama. You beat them. Who Coach Knight said was the best team that you guys played. Do you remember anything about that Alabama team? Oh, being- I, re- I remember that game incredibly because, uh, you know, when you start and you're taking Greeno's spot and the responsibility that, that a starter takes versus just a little role player, uh, for the first time I got eyeball to eyeball with uh, – pressure and so i blinked <laughs> so we're playing alabama and i get fouled with i think 40 seconds you know some something within a minute i think we were up one at the time and i calmly missed the front end of a one-on-one <laughs> so I, I, I missed the shot and so I wait, wait, you know, Aber. Before even... you before you move off yeah. of that, do you remember yeah. that moment when you think about it? Do you remember what it felt like being at the line at that moment with forty seconds left? Do you remember the nerves? Well, you know what's interesting is I wasn't nervous. I didn't feel nervous. I just, I just was the guy that had the ball, and I got fouled, and I, you know, and I shot, and then I, I, just like I was talking to you earlier about. I mean this is live reality right you know tv and in life and you know you're not going to make every free throw you're not going to make every layup you're not going to you know things happen because we're human so you know i shot a free throw and i missed it but then what's the next task well we got to get a stop because if they come down they take the lead and so you know, I, I wasn't really even that tuned in and aware, but I, I became a lot more aware when I got fouled with 
probably 20 or less seconds to go. And I, I was put in the exact same position and I made, I, I believe I made both of them. I, I, I at least that's the, in my own mind. Yeah, Maybe I'm, I'm wrong. Again, no, no, we're not going to fact check I you. It's good for the story. You stretch. made both. You made both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I did that. No, but <laughs> so anyway, so that that is uh, why it's so memorable to me that, you know, I uh, I could have been the guy that would have carried that and, you know, for the whole university. And, you know, the, the story would have not been pleasant in action but it turned out differently and we won and that just got us to the next step which is was our goal well your next step was against the number two team in the country marquette you beat them pretty handily held them to 56 points which set up a final four rematch from earlier in the year where you played uh, the first game of the year against UCLA after the Soviet exhibition game. So you're going into that Final Four game against UCLA, and they'd knocked you out of the tournament in the past. Even though you beat them earlier in this season, is there still revenge on your mind in tournament time? Well, here here's the cool thing about UCLA. I mean, they, they're the gold standard of uh, college basketball in that era having won what 11 national titles right they had won the national championship that we thought we should have won you know the greenos uh in laz's year so it was a huge game the first game of the season in st louis when we played them to say hey this is what we would have done, <laughs> you know, of course, this is what we would have done if we'd have played them the year before and we would have won the national championship. But anyway, so that was a huge win. But then, you know, getting to the final four where it really counted, uh, we played them. They're the defending national champions. And we uh, were determined to do everything we could to, to get to the final game. And, so it was a huge game. There, in no way was there a revenge factor in my mind of what happened our freshman year. It was only we're not going to uh, let them have any emotional uh, edge on us because we beat them by 20 in the first game of the season. We're going to win this game because we need to win it to uh, get to the final final game well win it you did by holding the returning and defending national championship team to 51 points in a final four game you beat them pretty handily and tom you have one of your best scoring games as an indiana hoosier in the final four do you remember how many points you scored um maybe was it was it like 18 or something? 14, 14. You gave yourself a little 14? too much credit there. 14. <laughs> Man, 14. I, I thought I was better in that. <laughs> okay, fact check. That's right. <laughs> but you got 14 points. And, I, I, I mean, I, again, I've learned now from you over these last couple hours that we've chatted – I can imagine you in no way are looking at your individual performance as like a pound your chest, look at me moment. But you, from a fan's perspective, to see a guy who started his Indiana career as a role player playing, you know, five to ten minutes a game, to stepping up his senior year in a Final Four game against the defending national champs and scoring 14 points, 
it is the reason we love college basketball because we get to learn about the players over a four-year stretch. We get to watch them grow. We get to watch you fill different roles as the team needs different roles filled. And I can just imagine uh, how good it must have felt for all the fans to watch Tom Ambernathy, who went from role player to starter his senior year, score 14, and now set up a national championship game against conference foe and rival Michigan for a chance to cap off the most magical run of Indiana basketball to that point and since. And you play Michigan in the championship game, who you know very well, and very early on in that game, you hit a big pothole of adversity when Bobby Wilkerson goes out with an injury. What do you remember about that hap- about that moment? I replay it every... Matter of fact, when I'm going to do the Martin Luther King camp today and I talk to all the campers that are there, uh, and I, I talk to the campers once a week, and I talk, and I'll I'll share, and that is when Bobby Wilkerson, so the championship game when Bobby um, down, so he's what he's trying to do is block a layup by Wayman Britt. He races full length of the court to just slap the ball off the backboard like LeBron James did hmm. two years back to win a yeah. world title, but. He just gets nailed in the in the temple and he gets knocked out. So he had had 19 rebounds against UCLA, and his defense, just everything that he brings, he is such a unique player. But also he had sacrificed and he had given everything for the team. And then to see him laying on the ground and him being out. I think it stunned us more than Scott May's injury. It, more than anything, it was like, man, this this is it's it's sad. And, and I think we played the rest of that half um, in that way. We we weren't ourselves, and we walk off the court, you know, down five or six. What was it, thirty-five twenty-nine or something like that? So. Uh, and we walk in the locker room and Bobby is still laying on a table in there, woozy and just, you know, obviously he had been, had the concussion and all that, but anyway, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, a a moment that I'll never forget. And, uh, one that probably propelled us. Uh, you know, to close and close in the deal, uh, the second half. Well, how did that happen? How do you go from being stunned by that? He is your, you know, you've been teammates with him for several years. He's a key cog in the wheel. You're seeing him woozy and kind of laid out on the table. How did coach get you guys rallied to become yourselves in the second half? Well, the, if you come to camp today, you can sort of hear how I would paraphrase coach's uh, role in, in that. But Let's hear it. Uh, yeah. So I, 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 all these kids are sitting on the ground at my camp, as I tell them, and I look at everyone in their eyes. I say, okay, men, you're the best team in this country. You're undefeated. And point over to Bobby Wilkerson. Bobby is down. We have 20 minutes to play the best basketball we can possibly play. And I want you to be able to come in and 
tell Bobby we got the job done for you. Oh, I got goosebumps. Very calm and very, you know, uh, just evading and at all. And, and then from there, I don't know what the statistics were, but Quinn Buckner, in my mind, he and Scott May and Benny, those three guys, the second half just totally took over the game. And again, with Quinn's, just his determination and his leadership and his gutsiness and his just the way he, he, the person that he was and the way he played just willed us uh, to just destroy those guys in the second half. You outscored them by 24 points in the second half in the 20 minutes of basketball that coach Knight said was the best 20 minutes of basketball you ever played was was that how you felt? Did it just feel like you guys could do no wrong? Yeah, I, I mean, I what it felt like was not that we could do no wrong, but that we weren't gonna we're we were we're gonna do everything that we humanly possibly could do to yeah you know, to to win this game. So. And, you know, and it, it wasn't just shooting and scoring. It was defense. It was rebounding. It was tenacity. It was just all the elements that really typified, you know, the teams that coach tried to produce. Uh, and I th- think it all uh, w- was evident, you know, in that, in that last half of the, of the Michigan game. Well, you scored, like Ward said, besides blowing them out by 24 points, you also scored 57 points in, the se- in a half of basketball. <laughs> I mean, only almost scoring three points a minute. And to a point you made earlier, no three-point shot. To score 57 points in a half of basketball without a three-point shot, I think just speaks to the amazing efficiency at, at which you guys could play. And, Tom, you and Ward. Sorry? No, I, I want Ward to do a fact check here for us. Somebody, for some reason, said that maybe it was Hamill, but I heard some, and it was the most points and a half scored in an NCAA tournament game. I'd love to hear what the 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 true how how factual that is. But fifty-seven points, whether that was in a final game or but you know as it was conveyed to me and so I was like man that's that makes my story to my campers even better that you know we (laughs) scored 57 points it's the most ever scored in a half so Ward you let me know when you find out uh the preciseness of that comment okay I'm looking now I'm seeing something about Bill Bradley that's individual performance okay but let's see where to go. Oh boy, I'm going down deep the rabbit hole here of Wikipedia that is not giving me. <laughs> let's see. Well, call Hamill. He'll he'll give you the facts. I mean, we can just <laughs> we'll just, just say it. Thing. It'll it'll sound it'll sound good. We'll just say it and pretend like we did yeah. the fact check. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I'm saying this will be a week from now when Ward finally checks every every score of every right. NCAA game <laughs> and then he'll he'll report it and then you can edit it into this that's right that's right no we have really, to have this uh on the air by tomorrow, tomorrow morning this is, we're have to do this <laughs> we'll fast. tweet it out um uh, but yeah, it was that's, enough that's, it was enough that at some point in that second half 
you had to know that you were going to be the undefeated national champion. Do you remember, let me say that again, it was enough points that at some point in the second half, you had to know, we're doing it, we're winning this thing, we're going to win the championship. Do you remember that moment that you realized it and what it felt like? Yeah, I mean, as you look back at all the video of, you know, some of these little little shows that have been made about that team over the years, and they start taking us out one by one in the last, I mean, I don't think it was until the last two or three minutes. Um, I think almost every one of us got to do a little something. Like I I had a easy layup and I got fouled or something right down this, you know, in the last couple of minutes. And then, you know, Quinn was great down the stretch. And but, but one by one, coach brought us out and, just the joy. I mean, if you look at the video of that, I mean, the joy exhibited by everybody, every every one of us that went out and and coach's joy. It was it was a special moment. But it wasn't until the last probably three minutes that we were breathing like, okay, we got it now. Right. And again, I think it's back to the mindset that coach helped us have is Hey, you got work to do. Don't don't take your your eye off the the target and the prize here. You got you got to go down and get this stop and get this rebound. Get to do whatever it needs to be done, and boom, here we are. Well, here we are. You score. You finish your Indiana career scoring fourteen points in the Final Four game. You score eleven points in the championship game. You have cemented the greatest season of college basketball ever, and especially ever for Indiana University. And then your focus turns, I would imagine, fairly quickly to preparing for the NBA draft. What what was that like to end your college career and realize, okay, I got more basketball to play, and how did you prepare for that? So it's interesting, Eric, as you're talking you know, I look at my high school career and I wasn't looking ahead even to get a college scholarship. Right. And then it, it all evolved and I, I did. The same in the NBA. The last thing that was ever honestly on my mind was playing professional basketball. But as a, as the last couple of weeks uh, happened, especially, you know, the finals when I was on the all-tournament team, that was probably the first time I thought, man, I wonder if I could, you know, get drafted and play in the NBA. So what they they had some pretty good uh, All Star uh, tournaments or you know opportunities to play. So the season ends, and there's tournaments. There's like the Dapper Dan class, five different uh, senior you know uh, All Star games. Bobby Wilkerson was the MVP in, in one of them. Uh, the Hawaii, the, the biggest one was over in Hawaii. Quinn was the MVP in that one. There was a Indian, I was in that, but um, again, I, was, I don't know what I did, but I'm not very aware of my own thing. But the, <laughs> the, the weird thing was there was a Indiana, Kentucky, no, I'm sorry, Indiana, Ohio all-star game at Butler Fieldhouse here in Sertoma uh, sponsored it. Huge crowd. So Cruz and I played. I'm not sure if we 
if any of the other guys were able to play. But I was like 10 for 10 or some crazy, like I ended my college career and I was the MVP of that. So, I mean, I think three or four of, of us seniors in various tournaments around the, the country after that season, you know, were got that. And it was just a fun way, you know, to end. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I was drafted. I mean, that, that again, wasn't. I didn't even know for sure when the draft was and I was called in the afternoon and heard that the Lakers drafted me. So, um, I love that. You're just going about your business and you find out that the Lakers drafted you. That's a pretty good day. That's a pretty good day. (laughs) Yeah, it was, especially I was at, um, an apartment swimming pool that afternoon with my current wife of 42 years, Susie. So, you know, that was probably more, uh, on my mind than uh, the draft. It was like, hey, I got a girlfriend, and yeah. it's fun. If we're out catching some rays and swimming, and and then find out with no cell phones, you know, hey, right. there's a call. That is great. I right. love the idea of going, hey, Susie, uh, just wanted to let you know, I just got drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers. We're moving to L.A. <laughs> well, it, if it was that easy, I probably would have, but Maybe that's how God has kept me humble. It's like I still getting drafted. I was the 43rd player picked. And so at the time, that is in the third round. So there weren't as many teams in the NBA. So I was the 43rd player picked and certainly no guarantee of, of making a team. So I went out to the summer league and they had just named their new coach named Jerry West. Yes, never heard of him. What's the deal with that guy? (laughs) So Jerry West ended up loving the way I played. Just, you know, he wanted sort of a dirty work guy um, to throw the ball into Kareem. And so anyway, it all worked out in an incredible way. But uh, certainly I wasn't uh, counting or knowing that, man, I'm, I'm now in the league. It was like, boy, if I could make this, it'd be sweet. And it ended up being sweet for five years. What What is it like feeding the ball to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and how scary is it when you don't get it to him? Well, the first thing, Eric, I think it's important to know that I had to teach him how to shoot a special shot. <laughs> he, he had his jump shot really good, but I said, Kareem, come and work with me on a thing. I'm going to teach you a, a thing we'll call the sky hook. <laughs> so I worked with him over and over and over again. And finally he developed a sky hook and then he, he took off. No, I mean, it was, it was crazy because it's exactly the role I had at IU. I mean, I had to get the ball to Benny. I had to get the ball to Scott. I had to play defense. I had to rebound. I had to do all the little things. So having Kareem on both ends of the court, not only getting the ball to him, which was pretty easy for me because of how Coach and Donawald, all my coaches taught me, but then to play defense, I'm guarding Dr. J and all these great players, and you can crowd guys and play them tight knowing that you have Kareem, and then I had Robert Parrish as my golden state center so wow. i had some pretty good guys backing me up uh so defensively but anyway it was crazy it was awesome and 
it was, you know, un- unexpected, but it was it was a fun period of time. I have to ask you about maybe an uncomfortable moment. I believe it would have been your second year in the NBA. Kent Benson was drafted into the NBA, and there was a game against the Los Angeles Lakers that really was just a horrible moment for, for Benny early in his career where Kareem, I mean, just tried to knock him out, didn't, ended up breaking his own hand. Oh, but do you remember that moment? And I mean, this is your old teammate and new teammate. What was that like for you? And what do you remember about that moment? That was really weird. So I'm sitting on the bench, and um, all of a sudden I see Kareem just really hit Benny hard, just slug him in the in the jaw. And as replays show it, Benny had had elbowed him, and they were tussling a little bit and so here's the number one draft choice rookie um trying to establish respect with kareem and saying hey i belong here and kareem didn't take kindly to it and so he measured his response and by the time he got down the court he hit him so it was very 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 uh unique to have my my teammates uh current and past uh be involved in that so it was it was it was scary and sad and you know i certainly wished it hadn't happened but yeah i, I had a front row seat Oof, uh, scary that. so a five-year nba career uh and then on on to europe what was it like playing ball over there how did how did the europeans both in their style of play and as fans react to uh indian in indiana boy over there did it was it a good fit did you like it or did it take a lot of adjustment the crazy thing uh about that experience was it was so comparable to my senior year in high school and in that they bring americans uh so over in italy uh every italian squad could bring two uh, non-Italians to their team. And so let's see, was it two? Yeah, at least one or two. And so as it turned out, um, this team in Brescia, Italy had, you know, really a good, uh, Italian big man. So the two Americans that they brought were me uh, as an NBA five-year NBA player, and then uh, a, a point guard named Stan Petkavich. He had played in the NBA, but he was like the first point guard to be taken over there, uh, take, you know, like brought over. Because most of the time, the unique thing that us NBA guys bring are, you know, big presents and stuff. So anyway, sure. so I had a point guard who could actually get me the ball. It was, again, like high school all over. And so I ended up being, I think, the top three scorers in the in the in the nation uh, over there. I averaged like twenty, probably twenty two or twenty three points a game, and and it brought me back to, man, this is fun. All of a sudden, being the man <laughs> instead of the role player that I had been, you know, for all these years. So that was fun. Our team did unbelievably well. And we got knocked out of the playoffs by Mike D'Antoni's team. He was on the best team in in Milan. They had like the best Italian players. And 
and D'Antoni, uh, but we took them to the, you know, like it was a three-game series, and they barely beat us. And and to this day, our little, that town that I played in, they remember, it's almost like the Downing versus uh, Walton. You know, there was probably a play, and they, they said that the refs cheated us, and we <laughs> should have won this thing. And But they invited me to come back there five years ago uh they flew me back and put Susie and i up wow. and they celebrated our team and the accomplishments we're like legends <laughs> over there that is so you cool know, our team had so much success so it was fun but the second year i ended up getting pink eye um from an optometrist uh, because she had just uh had a patient that had pink eye and then she checked my eyes for contacts and within a few days I had it anyway they wanted to shoot a, a, a needle in my eyeball to cure pink eye and I said dang that doesn't sound <laughs> like Lord. so they gave me eye drops and the the excess of drink drink wore away the cover of my hold on. cornea. What, what, one second. And, hey, Tom, hold on. You said yeah. we lost you right at, you said the excess. Go back to that little oh, part okay. where you said the excess. Yeah, the, the excess of eye medication, and the eye drops that they had me put in, wore away the cover of my cornea. So I couldn't see the scoreboard clearly. It was all blurry and, and just real fuzzy. And I continued to play for probably five or six games. And again, being a 20-plus score, I think my very final game is right before Christmas, I had 13 points. And they, they, we all realized that that, I mean, I just wasn't able to, you know, I shouldn't be playing out there. So unbelievably, they paid me for the entire season and let me go home. And they needed a replacement. And so Scott May had just <laughs> been released from the Bulls, I think. And Scott May uh, takes over where where I was and and took over for me uh, with that team. And, I mean, and then you you started managing a bunch of apartments in Bloomington for him. <laughs> I wish I would. I yeah. wish that's where I would have put my money. And, uh, the rest would be history. But uh, right, yeah. Well, what what a uh, what a wonderful end to just a magical basketball run. Before we let you get out of here, we we always like to ask past players who helped build what we all love and know about Indiana basketball to comment a little bit on the current state of Indiana basketball. Do you still watch a lot of the games? Honestly, I I, I don't. Um, I was very involved uh, and watched a ton of games at, when Coach Crean was here, and he he just embraced uh, our you know our era, and they were rebuilding. And I think his philosophy was to um, just help the young, like non scholarship There were a lot of guys that just weren't ready to play but just to help rebuild the culture so so to speak and so that was a role talk about roles it was just a little role that 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 I played a little bit so it, I was a little you know much more involved in that period of time when coach Crean was here 
he just he just revered Coach Knight and just our whole team, et cetera. And it was sort of a, a neat way to give back and encourage the current players, get to know them and just say, hey, we're in here. Because if you recall, those are some terrible days of oh, yeah. losing and that type of thing. But, hey, that was a family, you know, and we're going to just keep encouraging them. And, and, you know, I thought he did a great job of, you know, getting us, you know, back to some prominence and stuff. And so uh, at that period of my life, I was certainly more accessible and available as things happen. We have 10 grandkids now. Mm. and Wow, you got two kids. teams. You got two basketball teams. Oh, I have so much. And then my son is an assistant coach. Uh, he was at Ole Miss, and now he's at FAU. His name's Todd. Had, so a, had a great happens. career at Ole Miss. Wasn't he first team SEC as a yeah, senior? Yeah, he was, he was all SEC as a senior, and but just had a really fun, great experience. But so I, so a period of, t- of my life then was following Todd and all that. And then, you know, the Coach Crean era was just a period that I was a lot more available around here. Then Todd, you know, became a coach. And then we started getting grandkid after grandkid after grandkid. And then kids moved. I have a son out in San Diego area. uh, And none of them live real close. So we're traveling like crazy all the time. So to answer your question, I haven't been as available for this window of time with Coach Archie, uh, his team and this current group of guys. And I am going to be there for the Michigan state game. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And I'm, uh, I try to get back as, as often as I can, but it's just, I, I haven't had that, uh, opportunity. Like I, uh, my lifestyle, Sure. <laughs> what, what are I you- don't know if I should mention it, but I'm spending a majority of my time, um, even though I own a business and I'm quote unquote running a business, I'm spending most of my time down in Florida with well, my wife. You, you got to spend that coffee. six months and one day in Florida, right? Well, you know what? I'm not even worried about oh, okay. the, uh, tax, <laughs> the tax benefit. I'm <laughs> five degree weather and, and even more being with my wife, uh, 42 years, I, I sort of made a decision that I wasn't going to continue to make my job more important than being with my wife. So uh, I made, I think I made a good choice to be down there for a number of reasons, but that being the primary one. Now we have to assume that, you know, you guys still talk to each other. And I think, you know, Jim is back there still around North, North Indianapolis and, and some of your other teammates, even in Bloomington, what is the general feeling about what the the current regime is building down there? Is there a positive feeling? Are you guys excited that it is headed in the right direction again? Well, I mean, I I can't imagine anybody would not want IU to be heading in an unbelievable direction. I think, you know, I had mentioned real briefly how incredibly difficult it is to win every game and to win big 10 championships and things like that. So um, that is, you know, that's, that would, again, it'd be great if, if we were undefeated every year and (laughs) we had like uh, 10 more banners, but the reality in this uh, basketball environment is it's awfully difficult. Yeah. Aber, I would go, I would be happy with going undefeated for a week. 
I mean, can we just get that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so from what I've seen from uh, Coach Miller's team, this particular team, man, they're they're gutsy and they're they're hard nosed and they're grinding games out. And I mean, there's a lot of great things. I mean, Joey Brunk is one guy. As I'm watching him play, and I'm watching it because I I went to the uh, Nebraska game. Mm-hmm. I see him getting taken out of the game, and I see him talking to every guy in the bench and encouraging every one of them. And he, I, I, I just could see the focus that Joey Brunk exhibited. I said, man, that reminds me of Greeno and I mean, just guys that I played with. So, I mean, um, that's just a very short snapshot of, of an observation. But if you get guys that are caring that much and that are willing to do what they have to do, um, Coach Archie is going to be producing, you know, great teams. And, you know, my hope would also, just like you and everyone else is that, you know, things are going to just keep getting, getting stronger and stronger, but it's a, it's not an easy job. And I am the first one to say, I, I, I'm not smart enough to know what, in this era of basketball, how to run things to, to win every big 10 game and even win a championship. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful and cheering for those guys to, to have tons of success and I'll be there, the Michigan state game, like I said, and I'll be hopefully, uh, there. I mean, if I could get back for the Purdue game, that would be, uh, enjoyable for me to, to be able to, cheer cheer us on because i i still uh i've told you i i don't hate purdue but it's a special game and i think us former players like to see uh us have special performances against purdue and and i'm going to try to be back for that leave 80 degree weather for that but i'm i'm, I'm planning on it well aber before we let you go i just want to tell you one of the most refreshing things about these couple hours that we have spent with you is your incredible positivity and humility in talking about the various roles that you had to play, starting with your high school team, where you were the number two scorer to Laz your junior year, your thir- first three years at Indiana, where you were a role player, and then in the NBA, where you were a role player again. But it never felt like you ever treated any one of those things less than being a starter or being a star. And that attitude, that team-first mentality, is I think what every Indiana fan craves for the current program, a group of guys that are playing for something bigger than themselves and statistics and personal glory be damned. And you exemplify that in such a perfect way. It has been an absolute honor to spend these couple hours with you. It's how we get through the rough times, Aber, as we think about your times <laughs> and that the, we still have hope that it will it will rain again in Bloomington, but it really is something that keeps Indiana at the forefront of college basketball. What you did 40 years ago is still such a huge reason that fans root for this team and that players come to play for this program is because of the legacy you established. Well, thank you guys. It was an honor to uh, be a part of those four years. Uh, and 
it was unscripted and we just lived our lives and uh, we had great coaches we had great fans great teammates and that you guys are carrying and passing on the love of IU uh, with what you're doing. Uh, my hat is uh, tipped to you and just hope you keep having great success. And we'll play that little clip that you just uh, summarized uh, at my eulogy uh, <laughs> no, when, no. when I die, which no, no. I hope isn't right away, but you know, we, we are all just given uh, today. So we, we don't know what, what the future holds, but thank, thank you both for, uh, your time and, and your efforts. Thank you, and hopefully one day soon we will get to meet you in person and shake your hand. Really appreciate it. I know. It, I, I can't wait. I'll look forward to it, guys. All right, Aber. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay, Eric. Thank you. Thanks, Ward. Take care. Aber. Such a sweet guy. Like, just a doesn't really remember the games or the statistics, really. It's He's like, the me. <laughs> it, it, but also, like, it doesn't matter to him. What yeah. what mattered to him was what should matter. Wins. Right? Wins. It wasn't about a specific game, and it wasn't even about a specific rivalry. It was about we were a group of guys that came together with one big goal in mind, and we were always pushing together and pulling in the right direction and the same direction. And he really helped paint in the different personalities, which we've gotten some of those personally from talking to Benny or Jim Cruz or Laz. But as he started to talk about, you know, Quinn and Bobby and stuff like that, and and really Greeno, how Greeno was clearly like the necessary jester. The class clown. Because you've got these guys who, without even having had the honor of speaking with Quinn Buckner or Scott May yet, just the way they played and and the pictures and, and the footage, you're like, these are some serious dudes. And Benny, obviously, we know, is a very serious man, too, that you start to get an idea of what the the feel of this locker room was like and how that translated onto the court. And it's 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 a really special group of guys, and every time we get to talk to one and the picture's filled out a little bit more, you just feel that much closer to what was clearly the most magical four-year run in Indiana basketball history. And I think about what A.J. Moye told us about recruiting different parts of the car that Coach Knight needed. Somebody needed to be the steering wheel, and somebody needed to be the spark plug, and all those different things. But I always thought about that since A.J. told us that a year ago in terms of play on the court. I didn't think about it in terms of personality. Right. But clearly that was part of it too. You couldn't have 10 Quinn Buckners because they would be too much headbutting between those guys. You needed guys like an Abernathy who was willing to take the role that was assigned to him. You, you needed guys who were extroverts and introverts and class clowns and serious dudes. And what a magical combo that coach was able to put together well and i think magical is a great term because it does implicate something more than just great skill and intelligence and talent that as great as coach knight was throughout his career and winning two more championships and getting to to you know other final fours and big 10 championships there was never a four-year run like that and and that it happened so early on in his regime was like, yeah, clearly he had a knack for asking coaches the right question about their high school players 
or gleaming stuff from parents or in brief interactions with these kids that he was able to get such a special group together so early on. And clearly there were other special groups. The Calbert Cheney era, we know. That was like an amazing four or five year stretch comparable to this, but without the same results. So you do have to give a little bit up to luck, to destiny, to fate, even when you're talking about the greatest coach ever in the greatest team no, ever you assemble you hope you've got the genius to assemble the pieces and then you roll it out there and hope that luck shines down on you right and in that four-year stretch it did and in the 90 the and, early, not, and not even perfectly as we right fr- from there 75 was, like sure if, if it had been like fortune had been completely on their side it would have been back to back seasons totally and in the early 90s fortune didn't shine down on us mm-hmm. alan henderson got hurt at a crucial time do we win the championship if he doesn't you and i think we do undefeated but but that run truthfully i would argue is probably as good since the 70s i mean like the 81 team was awesome and they won the t- title but they didn't dominate that not even year. at the beginning of their season no, like 7 and 5 or something 87 was good throughout but nobody looks at the 87 team as like a dominant team but they, they only lost pieces. four games no, no. which is crazy in hindsight right but, but they're yeah. never considered right. one of those elite teams i think many people think the 90s teams were better than the 87 team maybe even better than the 81 team but luck luck wins in the end you know and uh it's just so good to talk to a guy who is that humble, who's done that much in his life, who clearly still loves Indiana, love that he's coming back for the Michigan State game, going to try to be there for the Purdue game. That'll be a fun one. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully, let's just beat him. Yeah. Jesus, I'm tired of losing. Like- I'm sick and tired of an 8-10 and 10 record. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of losing to Purdue. So We just went into season on the brink. Yes, we did. Uh, more to come next week. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I, but, but the, the sometimes, sometimes Y. Goons, there you go. Uh, we'll talk to you later. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.